Welcome to episode 43 of the Rich Roll Podcast with Charlie Knowles. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey everybody, Rich Roll here. Welcome to the Rich Roll Podcast. We have a very exciting guest here today, Charlie Knowles. Say hello. Hi. <laughs> We're going to dispense with the uh, the long introduction. I was getting some, I'm getting complaints because I was going on too long. I was doing like 15 minutes of introduction before the guest, so I'm being too long-winded. People gonna, don't like gonna, that? What's that? They're complaining? Yeah, people are complaining. Okay. Like I said, people get demanding about their free content. <laughs> you have to be careful, you know? So, well, we do have to do a little bit of intro stuff. What if, what if somebody's brand new to this podcast and they don't know anything about it? I think you just have to do your thing. All right. What is my thing? Your thing is to spread the word. Spread the word. So what do we do here? Uh, This is a health and wellness and fitness related podcast if you're new, but we're not really simply relegated to that. So if you're looking for like the the top 10 tips to make you a faster marathoner, this might not be the podcast for you because we do more of a uh, Charlie Rose style here. We go deep with our guests. We're not talking about that. We're not? No, today. What do you mean? I mean the marathon thing. No, today we're not talking about marathoning. Well, we're going to talk about a different kind of marathoning. I think... mm, But the point, you stepped on my point. You interrupted me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So we we have all different kinds of people on the show. We have doctors and nutritionists and world-class athletes and entrepreneurs and spiritualists. And today we have a world-class meditation teacher. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, waking up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today, that's wakingup.com slash richroll. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation 
with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Meditation is a huge uh, part, I think, of being optimally healthy, of optimizing your wellness. And it doesn't get, I don't think it, I think it gets a raw deal. You know, a lot of people like to talk about health and diet and how many calories is this and what are your percentage of protein to fat to carbs and low carb and all of that. But they completely overlook like this huge aspect of really functioning at your best, which is meditation. So we're going to get into that super deep today, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think all those things that you mentioned are really important, obviously, but the thing that people forget is that most, almost everyone knows what they're supposed to do, but mm-hmm. they don't necessarily make the best decisions. You know, and how do how do you make a good decision? Well, you have to have your mind clear and have it be functioning properly. And if, you mean well, that gap between like being well intentioned, like I know I should do this, but not but doing something else instead. Yeah. It's not now. If you're if you're faced with that challenge at five a.m., do I get up and go for a run? <laughs> do I you know eat a healthy proteinaceous breakfast, or do I go and load up on Cheerios? You know, which one are you going to choose um, depends largely on how you feel and how well your mind is working. And if you are stressed and anxious and feeling, you know, insecure about your day, then you're not going to make the right decision. And so it feeds into all those things that you mentioned. Yeah, I do that a lot. I wake up and I immediately my mind gets swells with all the things that I have to do that day and I get anxious like immediately. And it takes a lot of will to like sort of say, I'm not going to entertain that right now. I'm going to sit down and be quiet. Like that's a battle for me. Like I wish I could tell you that I have a very consistent meditation practice on a daily basis. So that's do not, I. That's not the truth. Yeah, <laughs> Julie would be happier if I did. Well, that's, that's, what, that's, that's what we'll fix today. And the worst the part world, is... The world would be happier. The world, all of yeah. us. It affects all of us. Uh-huh. Here, maybe take that pop filter yeah, off because you're all sounding the, all muffled. I know. It's hold, the, on hold on. Uh, it's very odd. I feel like I'm underwater. Here, try that. Hello. Oh, yes. Much better. Thanks. Go. Sorry Thank about you. that. Um, yeah, you'd be happier if uh, if I did that, and I'd be yeah. happier. And the worst, mm-hmm. the worst. Now, what I was going to say is the worst part is like I know the difference. Like I know that my day is better and I function better, and everything is smoother when I do it. And yet, so often I still can't make it happen. Yeah, people meet me, and I mean, you know me a little bit, and people who know me well often think I'm naturally just this really happy, buoyant person and then I'm just this guy who's always happy all the time. I'm always that guy who's, you know, going up and saying hey to everyone and introducing myself and having lots of jokes and having a good time. I'm not that person. You mm-hmm. know, I I I wake up in the morning and I feel just as terrible as everyone else does. <laughs> but, um, you know, I have this practice that I do, which just, you know, in the morning, and it, it, it's a fight, you know, that uh, when I'm, I'm speaking from experience, when I say that, you know, that when you, you wake up really early and you just can't think about, you know, the, the potential awfulness of the day ahead of you. And it just seems to, you know, come at you all at once. And it can be intimidating and overwhelming. And if you can just get over that little bit of a hump and say, you know what, I'm going to spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes on tuning my mind in the same way that you'd spend, you know, to brush your teeth, get your shower, get your, get your mm-hmm. body clean, do a bit of exercise to tune your body. You know, your mind deserves as much love. And from that basis, you know, it's as a result of doing that, you just, you know, you feel it. 
and I've been meditating since I was a little kid, you know, since I was four years old. Right. Um, I, I very rarely miss a meditation now because I know what a terrible jerk I am. So that's what's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Julie's saying, yes, that is what's wrong with you. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, you know, another way to put it would be because you know, the amazing benefits and how, how it affects your life in a positive way, you know, and it really, you know, it really is. And, and I have to admit that, you know, I read, you know, many, many, many spiritual texts and books over the years. And, um, um, I read in many, 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 many texts that meditation was essential and I didn't do it. Right. And I would read about it again and go, oh, there's that thing about meditation. Mm-hmm. And th- there it is again. And when I finally um, was able to sit down and actually begin, um, I never miss. Yeah, yeah. It, it changes your life. Once you start to get into it regularly, it's, it's, it changes you so much that you, just, you can't imagine what life would be without mm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you think the reason was that, that was holding you back originally, though? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I was uh, maybe still in a, just a, a process of my life where I was seeking. You know, I was still gathering information right. and sort of like, well, I'm going to get to that, but I'm not going to do it right now. And maybe it's because, um, you know, I don't know. I guess I just wasn't ready because before you're ready, you just don't sit. Yeah. And then suddenly, That's true. you know, you do. There's, there's a lot of, I think there's also, there's a lot of mystification and weird factor around it for a lot of people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, for some reason, it's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. The thing people seem to be most scared of is facing their own mind. <laughs> That's right. Like I used to have right. so, some relatives when I started uh, practicing yoga, they were like, okay, you know, go ahead and do the postures, but do not do the meditation. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> well, I think, you, you know, there's this weird, um, secular thing that comes in, you know, if somebody has a particular, you know, religious bent or they were raised in this church or that church, um, it's, it's almost threatening because it's, it's like another kind of perspective coming in. And I think that creates a a barrier that even though it's this thing that really should be non-secular and completely non-dogmatic and non-threatening and helpful to anybody wherever you're at or whatever your religious or spiritual conviction is, I think that that, you know, creates a a thing that makes it difficult for a lot of people to embrace. Mm. Yeah. There's an interesting thing that, you know, when, when I teach people to meditate, um, you know, there's stages people go through. Usually for most people, they don't get it the first time, you know, that, they, uh, it takes a few days for them to really kind of sink into the experience and find the joy in it. Um, but once they do, it's, it's, it's revelatory to them. You know, they have this uh, moment where they begin to go beyond the more surface level of their mind to the quieter levels of consciousness. They find their thoughts begin to uh, get quiet and disappear and they experience a more expansive aspect of their own consciousness. And almost every time that happens... Uh, people will say, you know what, I, I have experienced this before. You know, I've had this when I was a little kid. It's always when they're a little kid. Too. It's like mm-hmm. when I was 10 or when I was 12, I just had this spontaneously happen to me where I felt like I was really connected to nature and my mind was really open. I felt this waves of bliss and joy coursing through my body. And I didn't really know what was happening. I just kind of went with it and felt really like my mind was everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And it just happened by itself. 
And what that's convinced me is that the meditative state of consciousness is a natural state, but we just forget how to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the the key for me, and the, the you know kind of the role that I play is reminding people, you know, what there actually is a technique or a set of techniques that you can use to to just turn that switch in your brain and make that thing happen, that thing that should be spontaneous, that mm-hmm. perhaps once was spontaneous for you to experience. And so, I mean, a lot of these different techniques and all the techniques I draw from did come from religious traditions. You know, they, there's mm-hmm. uh, meditation exists in Judaism, in Christianity, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, in shamanism and animism and all the, and all the different isms, they all have mm-hmm. it. Um, and the reason is because it's a natural state. But when I teach, and I think I think the, the big revolution that's happening now with meditation, why it's becoming more accepted, is you can teach the technique without the you know. And by the way, you have to believe in without right, the without ism, the, the baggage. The ism. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to believe in this particular god or this particular philosophy or right. something. It's not meditation ism. Right, just exactly. meditation. That's right. You can have the experience. You know, you can have that natural experience, which is. I think actually wired into our brains, built into our bodies to be able to have that. You probably know it. I mean, runners and stuff, the runner's high, you know? That, yeah, for sure. That's, it's, it's, it's actually the same thing. You can, you can have that experience um, in other states as well. And it's, you know, it's when, it, when your mind and body become so attuned that everything just kind of feels perfect. You have this kind of peak experience. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big kind of value add of the training that I do, you know, I mean, to, to, to be able to tap into that. And it only happens when, you know, I don't have the earbuds in and I'm on the trail and I'm completely alone and I've already been going for a couple hours. Like it takes a while to get to that state where my mind will finally start to slow down and I can be present and like release the anxiety and the stress and really just be, you know, it's, it's, it's work, you know what I mean? It's a practice just like anything else. And and I think, you know, one of the things that I've talked about before on the podcast that I'd love to hear you kind of expound on a little bit more is this idea that, uh, you know, we all walk around thinking that, you know, we are our mind and we are our thoughts and not really kind of understanding or really embracing this idea that our thinking mind and our higher state of consciousness are two different things. And it seems weird and like hard to wrap your brain around that. But, you know, a perfect example is, and I'm sure everybody has had this, where you observe yourself doing something or thinking a certain thing and you have kind of an outsider's perspective on it. Like, why am I, you know, saying this to this person and feeling this right now? Well, there's, so there's this, there's like this divide, right? This dichotomy between, you know, one part of you that is acting and thinking a certain way and another part of you that is observing that or placing a judgment on that or entertaining a different way of handling something. Yeah, in a lot of meditation traditions, it's referred to as the silent witness or or witnessing experience where you can sort of stand back and observe your life going on and not feel as overwhelmed by all of the, you know, the conditions that normally suck you into it. And to explain that... um, that sense of, uh, of identity that you were talking about. I've, I've got an, a nice, easy way to think about it, which is, you know, when, when you interact with a little baby, if you get, get a little kid and you sort of look into its eyes, you don't look at that kid, you know, like when, when it smile, when the kid smiles back at you and gets all excited and mm-hmm. starts, you know, wiggling around and everything, 
they're not looking at you and, and thinking, oh man, he's really cool because he's got a cool car and a cool job and, you know, he's, he's got a great haircut and all that sort of stuff. You do have a great haircut. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I try. I yeah. try. Um, uh, but the, um, but the, uh, you know, the, these kids, these little babies, they don't look at you in that way. They just, they just completely interact with that, that deeper level of your identity and vice versa. When you look at the kid, you get so happy. And so like the, the, this is pure sense of love and appreciation and joy and a moment of connectedness that you can, that you give yourself permission to have with a child, mm-hmm. um, in seeing that little child and saying, I, you know, this kid, they don't have anything cool about them. You know, they don't have a cool job. They don't have, haven't gone to a cool school and have cool clothes or anything, but you look at them, you can't help but feel completely connected to them and compelled to just love them completely. And what is it that you're interacting with? It's that it's a deeper level of their identity that at that moment you, you can connect on. Mm-hmm. And as you, as that kid grows up, um, the unfortunate thing is that they're going to learn, oh, that's not who you are actually. You know, that deeper level of you is not who you are. You're actually, you know, now you're going to go to a school and you're a person who went to this school and then you're going to get a job and you're going to be a person who does this job. And you identify yourself over time more and more with, you know, if you ask someone, who are you? Oh, you know, I came from Pensacola and I'm a plumber and, right. you know, I went to this university and, you know, that's, uh, this is who I'm married to and so on. And uh, there's a deeper level of yourself. All that stuff's fine, by the way. It's not like any of that's bad. It's just that there's a deeper level of you that people are, they don't really know how to explore that or really know what that deeper aspect of themselves is beyond all of those surface levels of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what meditation is. It's learning to discover this sort of more boundless aspect of your consciousness and your identity where you can, um, you can just feel and you can, rather than saying, you know, I am you know, this job and this place and this school and so on. It's just, I am, you know, I'm here. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm present. And it's, it's a perfect, it's perfect stillness and perfect dynamism at the same time. The lovely experience is difficult to put into words actually, because mm-hmm. it's one of those things that kind of goes beyond language a little bit, but everyone who's had it can, you know, they can all say, Oh yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. That, that thing. Yeah. I got right. that completely. It's much easier to teach someone how to actually do it than to explain it. <laughs> so, right. Once you have you experienced that? that Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what yeah. was that like? It's um, it's just a an open state of kind of a lot of space, and uh, you know, no thoughts, and uh, really the pure natural state of bliss and joy. That's yeah. that's really natural. That that sort of it's kind of holds all other things, and then we have all this external. Um, stimulus and events and memory and noises and everything coming at us all the time. But um, I've found by connecting a lot through the breath Mm. um, and, uh, you know, for me, the most powerful meditation times are, you know, 4.30 in the morning. That's where the really good stuff happens. That's really great. It's a good time (laughs) to do it. But I will say being a mom of four, um, I also learned to just bring that into my life. Yeah, so sometimes to. it's when, you know, I was changing diapers or, you know, cleaning house or doing something very mundane. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you, you, you touched on a really important point too, which is the joy aspect of that. You know, like it's uh, I, part of the identity, that building of identity that happens as you grow older is that 
you know, I'm happy because, you know, I'm happy because I got my degree. I'm happy because I got this new car. I got, I'm happy because the new iPhone is going to come out in a month and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm actually looking forward to that one. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's all these things of their conditional happiness. You know, I'm happy because I got the girl. I'm happy because of this or that, you know. And, um, when, the problem with that, of course, is that when any, any one of those conditions is not met, you lose your happiness, and I think the beautiful thing about meditation is that you can find a source of happiness within yourself that's not dependent on any external circumstances. And so, I mean, I've, I've worked with people who are mega billionaires in their mega billion dollar mansions and, uh, and taught them to meditate. They can experience it just fine. I've worked with people who are in prisons, in cell blocks, or in what they call, what, what do they call it now? Um, uh, punitive segregation, I think it's called. And, oh, really? And Is that new, the, new, new the politically euphemism. correct term? Yeah, new for euphemism being in... for uh, for solitary confinement. Oh, wow! Um, I've never heard that before. Yeah, um, it's uh, and so they and you know they're literally in a in a in a concrete cube with nothing, no possessions whatsoever, and no freedom. And they can experience that same inner happiness as well. It's completely independent. You know, whether you're You've got the best boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse in the world. You've got lots of money or you've got none of those things. You can still find inner happiness when you meditate. And that's the real beauty of it, I think, where it, where it becomes really amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, usually on the podcast, I do a little introductory segment where I can say all sorts of things about the guest who's coming on. But since huh. we skipped that, I should at least let the listeners know that, you know, Charlie really is one of the leading uh, meditation teachers in the world. And he's got a really fascinating backstory. Um, and like you said, you're you're here, you're teaching. You you travel all over the world doing workshops and retreats, and you're teaching celebrities and CEOs and average people and incarcerated people and underprivileged people and all sorts of different kinds of people. It's kind of amazing. Um, and your backstory and kind of all this, how this whole thing began, is fascinating as well. So I'd love to hear you relate a little bit of that. Oh sure. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I was I was really lucky um, that. Both of my parents, they were in this kind of early wave of hippies who went over to India and and uh, decided that, that in the 1960s and, and early 70s and decided that they were going to study all Eastern knowledge. And they were very serious and very diligent about it. I mean, think, I think for some people it was a bit, bit of recreation, but for them it was mm-hmm. a very serious study, uh, quite intellectual. And they came back um, to Australia where I was born and just started teaching people. You know, they started become they became meditation teachers themselves. Right. So your dad, Tom, is he American or is he? He's, he's yeah. He's uh, <laughs> yeah. He's the he's the son of a U.S. Air Force general. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a military kid, and he uh, like a great Santini was. His dad. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and then uh, he, I guess, he in went some flower power on his. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he decided that when he was, um, you know, he was uh, seventeen or so, he was going to pack his surfboard and fly to Australia, partially, I think, because this Vietnam War thing was happening mm-hmm. and maybe that was a good idea. Right. Um, but also, you know, Australia was an appealing place to go and and and, and he met my mum over there. Um, and uh, and so, but he, you see, he, he's, he's now a very well-known, yeah. um, very well-respected meditation teacher. Yeah, I've taken, uh, I took some of his, uh, I don't know if I would call it courses, workshops, yeah. It was several years ago, many years before we met, um, and they were amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's he's so eloquent, so brilliant. I mean, I've been listening to him speaking about spiritual matters and scientific matters, philosophical matters, just about everything. 
he always has something amazing to say. Anyone, people ask him the most difficult questions of life, the universe, and everything, and he comes back with the most profound, amazing answers. People ask him terrible, idiotic questions as well. He still mm-hmm. comes back with incredible stuff. He's so eloquent, so brilliant. And so, you know, I kind of grew up with, with this amazing spiritual teacher as a, as a father. And um, so when I was four years old, he, that's the youngest he teaches people meditate but he taught me i remember on my fourth but it was very exciting my fourth birthday you're gonna finally learn how to meditate i know how exciting forget the xbox i know know. yeah Uh, it was was atari's back then (laughs) what was the technique uh, Can so, you share? Uh, oh well, it was it was a mantra based technique. I can't I can't. It's the the mantra that talks. Yeah, right. Exactly. Top yeah. But um, but I can um, but yeah, it was um, essentially there was a, a simple mantra that I was supposed to repeat inside my mind without concentrating onto it or holding onto it. Just kind of let it kind of drift through my mind and follow it. Um, the analogy I use sometimes is it's like a. Like if you were to drop a gold coin into the water and just kind of you're di- diving in after it, you can sort of follow it down to these deeper layers of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the way it feels where you can sort of see this shimmering image of this sound, which is very beautiful and just kind of draws you in in this repetitive way. And all of a sudden you find yourself, and I found, I remember you know, my kids are very easy to teach to meditate. They have the experience very, very spontaneously. And I was, I was no exception to that rule. The first time I did it, I was just, you know, it's like this mind-expanding moment where um, I just felt just full of joy and happiness and it was just kind of incredible. My mind kind of felt like it was expansive and huge. And then, you know, four minutes goes by because when you meditate, when you're four, you're supposed to only do it for four minutes. And Mm -hmm. so four minutes goes by and come out, it's like, you know, where was I? It's incredible. I felt for a moment, you know, I remember at four, I felt like I knew the secret to everything. I knew the entire universe and then I came back and I'm like, oh, I'm a four-year-old again, darn it. Well, that's amazing <laughs> so. because I think, you know, for a child to sit still and be able to do that, I mean, you must have some predisposition that's, like on a different I'll like, tell you, it's a, level. It's, it's a really, this, this is a really interesting preconception that a lot of adults have about te- – I teach uh, uh, kids and adults and kids are much easier to teach than adults. Adults are the ones who have all of the preconceptions and all of the um, – mm-hmm. all of the uh, – the, the self-defeating thought patterns that they've built up over time. Whereas kids, you know, I give them a simple instruction, close your eyes, be aware of your breath, or maybe it's a mantra or some, whatever simple technique is I'm teaching to kids, depending on how much time I've got with them, because there's different techniques that are appropriate for different amounts of time. Um, then they will just follow the instruction and just have these amazing experiences. And you ask them afterwards, you know, what was your experience? And they will tell you the most amazing things. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, and it's completely unscripted, unprompted. They don't even know what they're supposed to be saying. So sure, when they, but it when lines up. It lines up, and it's <laughs> you know, it's it's mind blowing. It's but when you teach an adult, on the other hand, you say something simple like, you know, close your eyes, sit still. Here's your mantra. Repeat it. They'll be like, well, should I sit like this or should I sit like that? Should I be sitting in lotus position or should mm-hmm. I be you know sitting like that? Close the eyes. I mean, fully close the eyes or just partially open the eyes? Am I mm-hmm. supposed to be focusing on my breathing? The mantra is a little bit too loud. Am I thinking the mantra too much or what if other thoughts come in? Is that good or bad? And you know, I have always thought it's a, the mind goes yeah, in yeah. all the different places. So it's actually the adults that are much more difficult. Interesting. Yeah, that's why it, take, it takes four days to teach an adult. I found it takes half an hour to teach a kid. Interesting. Yeah. But I still, I think it's fascinating that you kind of followed your father 
in his footsteps. I mean, I would not have been surprised if you decided you were going to be an investment banker. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah. To just do the opposite, like, oh, my crazy dad with his meditation stuff. Like, I don't want any part of that. You're, you're, not, so, you're not rebelling. It would have been, yeah, I, it would have been more kind of predictable if you had kind of gone gone left on that i had my moments yeah I, there, was, <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there were some times you know when i when i was a teenager you know i did all the all the things that teenagers do you know mm-hmm. it's and um you know one of which was kind of rebel against my parents for a while and you know i hate my dad and you know, this crazy yeah. stuff that they all do did the whole thing you know um but I realized very quickly that there was immense value to it because, you know, I stopped meditating for a little while. And I was like, oh, man, I feel like crap. You know, this is, mm-hmm. not, this is not a good feeling. And so, I, you know, I actually came back to my dad and I was like, you know, I think maybe – and the other thing too, they were very good. And I, you know, really recommend this to any parents of, who are trying to get their kids to do anything in a sort of like health or just positive habits or anything – don't push it on them and make it like a, a, a thing that they hate because my parents were really great about just saying, look, here's this thing that we do and we all do it, but they weren't, and they never forced me to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I got to choose it. You know, in the end, when I was about 16 or so, I really chose it. You know, it's like this thing, this legacy that they've built up is really valuable. And I went to my dad and I asked him, you know, how long should I give this? You know, if you give it three months, do it twice a day meditate in the morning, meditate in the evening for three months and then decide if you're going to stop doing this and never do it again or you're going to keep on doing it for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and, you know, make a hard decision about it. Don't, don't be wishy-washy. It's another good, really good thing to say to a 16-year-old because they love certainty, you know. And it's, mm-hmm. um, and so I did that. I gave it a try and I did kind of ran this experiment. At the end of it, I was like, man, I feel like a superman at the end of this. It's awesome. I couldn't imagine not doing my meditation. How would day. you? How would you be be more specific about how different you felt after you had gone through that three well, month period? I mean, it was it was it was like I was. It's interesting because the changes are incremental. I mean, in very much the same way that like working out is the same. You know, you see changes every day, but it's really at the end of that period of time. And, and what I was mostly doing is comparing it to my friends. And you know, when you're a teenager, I mean, I'm sure you you know remember high school. And it's like. You see all these people just going through these psychodramas all the time and just really hurting themselves. Um, I, w- I just wasn't doing that. Like I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't panicking about social situations or, you know, I wasn't feeling like I was overwhelmed by school or the work that I had to do. I found my schoolwork really easy and everything was a kind of, my mind was flowing really fast. I could memorize things really well. So my schoolwork was, you know, I was acing tests even without, you know, doing my homework. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was, um, and I just kind of felt really good all the time. And I felt like my creativity was really flowing. And, and again, for teenagers, it's a really important thing. You know, you're kind of at a period in your life where you're, um, you're forging an identity and who you are in the world and what you want to do and what you want to be. And you have these, you know, teenagers tend to be very idealistic and I was very much that way. And so I was, you know, coming up with amazing music and art and thoughts and, you know, just finding myself feeling great. And you know, interesting. It's the first. Interestingly, it's the first time too that I experienced the runner's high as well. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I started to get myself into that state of mind so frequently that um, I was actually. It was because you know, again, I, I didn't have a driver's license at the time, so I wanted to get to my friend's house. I actually just ran to his house, and it was mm-hmm. like a, an hour run to get there. <laughs> you must have been desperate to see your friend. Uh, well, no, it was, it was just, I, I just kind of, I, I kind of felt this, uh, like I could have kind of knew it was going to happen some, like on a, some sort of cellular level. I was just like, if I just do this, I'm going to feel great and I'll be fine. 
and I kind of got into this rhythm and then all of a sudden I was, I was running for like an hour or so to get to his place. And, and I had that experience of just like the whole universe opening up and feeling connected and just in myself and my mind was really clear and I just felt super happy inside. And it, it was like all of the, I'm not, I'm not unlike uh, you, I'm not this, you know, super fit dude. And I definitely wasn't then at You're the time. Pretty, pretty oh, I'm all yeah. right. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I don't work on it to the same level that you do. Uh, normally, running for an hour would I'd, I'd be having heart attacks at the oh. end of it. But you know, I felt no exhaustion. I was just like kind of in this blissful mode, and it was it was wonderful. And it was like a very psychological state that I got into, oh. and it was so so powerful that it was like, you know, this this stuff this stuff has legs. I mean, in a, in a real mm-hmm. in a real sense, it's not just kind of um, going off and communing with the universe and convincing yourself of some sort of fake thing. It's something which really has a powerful effect. But to get back to your story, so so you have this experience when you're 16 and you kind of make this commitment to yourself. And, and where does that lead you? I mean, I know you've traveled and, you know, studied and, you know, tell us a little bit about how you kind of developed your expertise. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I do travel a lot, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, at, at that time I was living in Australia and, you know, one of the, I was pretty lucky to be, be in this incredibly beautiful place. And, um, at, you know, I... Uh, I actually, part of my rebellion, I wasn't really, didn't really quite have all the rebellion out of me at that point just yet. I actually ran away from home, uh, fell in love and eloped, ran off with my girlfriend. Uh-huh. And um, we, uh, yeah, I know, it was fun. <laughs> um, where did you go? Would you, what, you, where, where would you go when you leave Australia to run well, away we, to? We actually, we actually didn't leave Australia. It kind of felt like we did though. We, you know, we're living, a lot of people have this idea of Australia and I, I get, I like to actually play tricks on Americans sometimes. People will ask me, you know, like, oh, you know, did you ever see a crocodile or whatever? And I'll, I'll tell them, oh, you know, we used to we used to ride kangaroos to school in the morning when we were kids. <laughs> you know, my mum would just put me in the pouch and send the kangaroo off to school, and people will actually believe me. That's but you funny. know, I actually grew up in a, in you know, Sydney is this amazing, you know, beautiful cosmopolitan city, and it's and it's you know, it's a very it's a very beautiful place. There is nature all around you, but it feels very urban. Um, and so I. Um, I, uh, my girlfriend and I ultimately ended up in, in far north Queensland, which is the, the northern tip of Australia, which is mm. geographically and, um, environmentally more like Papua New Guinea. Right. Is that Cairn, Cairns? Yeah, Cairns. Cairns yeah. is up there. Yeah. yeah it's crocodile what, country. Yeah, it really is. So it's like, yeah. it's that kind of classic Australia. Like you can't just go swimming in a river or anything like that around there, right? You or have, even in the ocean. You right? have to, well, the ocean's usually, well, you know, it depends. You know, the ocean's usually okay part of the year, but there's these stinging jellyfish. You can actually see, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the podcast listeners can't see, but I have this gnarly scar on my arm. Oh, that's, wow. that's, which is, um, is. Like that's, raised a, jelly, up that's from a jellyfish. jellyfish. Yeah, it's a jellyfish tentacle. Basically. Remind me to take a picture of that that is wild yeah um you know these jellyfish that'll that'll kill you i was actually lucky that 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 they if they if they sting you badly they can you can die within minutes from these things why is everything in australia so dangerous like all the nature the funny thing is spiders all of that stuff is just in the north of australia it's north yeah but it's intense up there it is it's super intense you've got all these deadly snakes and and you've got these jellyfish and you've got crocodiles and like cassowaries these birds that can like rip your guts open if they (laughs) see you and stuff (laughs) it's uh it's pretty crazy um but and it's also extraordinarily beautiful it's ridiculous 
ridiculously beautiful. Mm. I mean, it is just the most amazing place. And once, you, and you know, Queenslanders, people who live up there, first of all, everyone in the rest of Australia thinks Queenslanders are all crazy, you know, mad as cut snakes, as they say. Mm. But they um, like they're all crocodile Dundee. Up they're just, there. they're just nuts. But mm. in actual fact, it's kind of a, it's it's kind of a, a a bit of a myth that they put on to try to get rid of the Southerners. But um, but the uh, you but when you're up there, you just get used to it. You know, you kind of get used to what the rhythms of the land are, and after a while, you can start to really appreciate the area one of the things that was was really really fortunate to have while i was there um i was near one thing that's 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 different to northern australia compared to to sydney is that there's a an aboriginal population there the indigenous australians who um haven't been weren't moved off their land you know they're they're pretty Mm -hmm. much in the same place that they were and to a much greater extent had maintained their culture and traditions and I got to spend some time with some really incredible Aboriginal leaders who, um, the, the, the kind of the, when you're talking about sort of meditation in action and being aware of your environment, it was a real lesson. I mean, it's like they, they kind of, some of these guys, they seem to never switch out of that mode. They're always present. They always had this kind of awareness about them, which was, Phenomenal. Uh, I remember one experience I had particularly, you know, I was, went to this amazing river called uh, Mossman Gorge, which if you're in Australia, oh my God, go to Mossman Gorge. It's so beautiful. Um, and I was walking there with, with an Aboriginal friend and, and just as he was walking through this rainforest, which to me was sort of just an impenetrable sea of green, mm-hmm. he was just picking fruit and food and medicinal plants from all around him, like his constant awareness and I was so focused on the path ahead of me that I couldn't see any of this stuff around mm-hmm. me. And as soon as you start to open up your peripheral vision and your awareness, your brain actually changes, you know. And it's this – it's actually one of the simplest meditation methods that I like to teach people is just being aware of your peripheral vision, extending your arms out and just kind of wiggling your fingers so that you can see, you know, what's in, in your periphery and um, start to have that sort of – it was something I learned from, from, from him – and, you know, it's like little experiences like that, like I'd sort of pick up on that kind of appreciation, that being in the place. It wasn't like these guys, I mean, I, I, I was, um, you know, not an Aboriginal person, so they're not going to initiate me or give me any, you know, of their really deep knowledge. But it was interesting hanging out with them and kind of seeing these people and, and, and how they've still got this kind of vestigial awareness that hasn't been taken away from them, despite the fact mm-hmm. that they've been, you know, treated pretty poorly and and it was that was that was a big lesson for me in, in growing up is is that uh an outgrowth uh, like a conscious um practice or tradition on their part do they have things that foster that or is that just a byproduct of the way they live their life like closer was, to nature in, in in this case um uh it was very you know they, uh this particular guy norman he um he was teaching young kids, and so that they they would actually take kids away, take young Aboriginal kids away, and and, and you know train them in the old techniques and show them traditional methods of hunting and uh, food gathering and all these different things to give them that sense of awareness. He had a very strong sense of continuity with the old culture, mm-hmm. um, but um, it very much was also just you know part of being on the land. And when you when you hang out with people who are living that more traditional lifestyle anywhere in the world, you do see that level of connectedness that we miss out on a bit. It's it's still present for us, but we just kind of miss out on it because we're not tuned into it. You know, we tend to be more tuned into our electronics and so on, and um, being so focused on single points that we just can't see it. 
know, I see the same thing when I travel to places like Haiti or Bali or India, you know, people who they have spiritual experiences that if we were to have them in our culture, we'd be institutionalized for, for having mm-hmm. them. But that, that's like every other Tuesday at the temple, <laughs> you know, they get that. It's like, you know, I'll literally, you know, you talk. So to, give an example of, of something like that. So, you know, you, 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 if like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Haiti in two weeks. I'm doing some, there's a long-term project I'm involved in down there, an environmental project. And, um, and you go to the, like the voodoo dances that they do, and voodoo is very, you know, very misunderstood. It's not not really like this whole voodoo doll kind of devil worship stuff that you hear about here. It's a very very legit kind of shamanistic religion, and um, people will do these dances. They'll get the drums going, and they'll suddenly get possessed. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll they'll have like a spirit take over their body, and that you can see this change in their eyes, and they start dancing differently. And it's they have it's it's um. You know, and and they they take on a new persona and a different you know whole different thing. Now, if you or I were to have that happen to us, like we would, you know go down to some cafe and someone's playing a bongo drum, <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden that. you start to, you, know, yeah. you sort of uh, well, yeah. But if you were if you were at a kirtan in Venice, it would be just fine. Oh sure, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and you know it's um it, it but it's you know so there are these little emerging emerging pockets where we say you know these sorts of experiences are okay. okay. And if you go <clears> down in the south in some of these in the charismatic Christian churches, right, for it's example, like speaking tongues. Yeah, they'll they'll know. have these sorts of experiences. Um, but it's you know for for most people in in Western culture we get we get really freaked out by stuff like that. Now I talk to people all the time, you know they'll we'll come to a meditation class and they'll have some really powerful, beautiful, overwhelming experience. It's not like you know possessed by a spirit, but it's like yeah, that so one's kind of extreme. It is, but yeah. you know it's well it's extreme for us. It's extreme for because we have this idea of like you know the exorcist or whatever, but. Um, you know, it can be just like energy moving through their body in different ways or feeling like overwhelming sensations or, you know, beautiful visions that come to them or something. And they, they'll have that during the meditation class and all of a sudden they have permission to talk about it, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in that setting. And, you know, they'll have these people who are like, you know, some, uh, and I have very straight people, you know, people who are like accountants and financial mm-hmm. industry, you know, <clears throat> hedge fund managers and, you know, really like not the kind of people you'd think to, would be talking about this stuff, but they'll, you know, they'll start saying, oh, I was just kind of felt this golden light come into me and I felt it quivering through my heart and coursing through my limbs. And all of a sudden I felt like this incredible, blissful, almost sexual energy coming through me and I was overwhelmed by ecstasy and, and, and you're like, uh-huh. Um, but, uh, and, and there's actually, a, you know, this is, it's not an uncommon experience at all. It's something that most people can have spontaneously and, and can cultivate. And it doesn't have to be this kind of big weird thing that, mm-hmm. you know, it can, it can actually be quite a normal thing. And it's, it's scientists can look at it in the brain and say, you know, there's this stuff going on in the brain and, you know, this, this is, this is what's occurring here. Um, but, you know, unfortunately in our culture, we, we've tend to stigmatize that behavior. Right. It's not safe. And we were talking about this when we had dinner in New York and you were saying, you know, you do these workshops and then afterwards people come up and they tell you these, you know, these incredibly elaborate and very specific visions that they have and they confide in you and say, I've never had anything like this. And, but they feel comfortable telling you and nobody else. It's kind of a confidential thing that you have, which is kind of amazing. And it goes to, um, this idea. It, It makes me think about, kind of what the true self is versus the self that you hold out to the world, the mask that you portray and the disconnect between those two things and how meditation can help you become 
more comfortable bridging that gap, sort of expressing who you really are to the world and being okay with that, I guess. Definitely. Yeah, I think that um, the that's also another one of the big myths about meditation is that when you do it, you're going to become this, you know, sort of, uh, you're going to lose yourself. But I've never seen that. People who meditate all the time, they become more of who they are. You know, you lose that layer of anxiety and stress. Mm-hmm. People identify with their stress, you know, especially in New York, speaking of New York, people I get people all the time will say, you know, there's like, I'm an anxious New Yorker. And it's like, God, that's a, that's a strange self-identity to have. Um you know, people get, people identify like, I'm an angry person. You know, I'm, I'm an anxious person. I can't sleep at night. And they have all these ideas about who they are. Once you lose all of that, you find out who you really are, you know, and it's, um, it's a lot more liberating to have, uh, have, have your sense of self based on inner happiness and bliss. And, you know, when I speak about these kind of more far out experiences, they'll happen every now and then. You know, it's not something that like happens every time I meditate or anytime someone meditates, but every now and again, they'll happen. And that should be normal as well. We should be able to talk about that and, and be able to say, you know, that there's, there's a way that you can understand these things. You know, there's a way to, to, uh, to, to make it, you know, to, for it to be totally normal. I mean, you, you had this one experience you mentioned yeah, to me in, in, in New York. Well, I had actually, I remembered after we, after we spoke about it, I remember, yeah. cause I was trying to grab it and it wasn't quite in my, in my, uh, in my consciousness. But anyway, I was asking you because I had this one experience. I actually wasn't even meditating. I was up in my bedroom on my bed and I was just sitting in an open state Mm -hmm. and I felt my hands were huge, like King Kong size hands. And I was laughing because it was such a strange experience. Right. And so I asked you when we were at dinner if you if you knew what that state was. Right, and, and this is actually a really common meditation experience mm-hmm. of uh, when people. It's it's one of the signs that you're um, beginning to go really really deep, and uh, your your mind has settled down and gotten quieter and quieter. And at a certain point, you begin to transcend your senses. You start to go beyond your sense of touch and this other sense that we have called proprioception, which is the knowledge of where the body is in space. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly your brain is not receiving. Excuse me. <clears throat> so suddenly your brain isn't receiving the information that's norm- normally used to getting about where your body is, where your hands are particularly. Mm-hmm. It's usually hands, feet, or head <laughs> that so people funny. have this. And all of a sudden your brain sort of starts to search. You know, it's like, where are my hands? Are they out here, out here, out here? And it's such that, and it's, you, the sensation subjectively that you have when that's happening is that my head is getting really huge or my hands are getting really, really huge. And so you, you'll, you'll swear up and down that you've just got these en- enormous hands all of a sudden. And it's what we call early stage transcendence, mm-hmm. where it's, it's just that first stage before you fully go beyond the ego and the intellect. Mm-hmm. You just start to have these like transcending specific senses, and, which transcending mm-hmm. just means to go beyond, you know, going mm-hmm. beyond the specific senses. And you can go beyond your sense of touch, beyond your sense of, uh, of sight, smell, taste. The last one, you go beyond your sense of hearing. Mm-hmm. And so at a certain point, even I've had people who have very, very deep meditations, they haven't fallen asleep. They're sitting there and they're perfectly upright. But, they've, but um, I even had one, uh, one person, one student who I taught who had this experience the very first time she meditated, within mm-hmm. 30 seconds of learning. And... Um, she had huge hands in 30 seconds. Oh, no, she, <laughs> it was actually uh, going, going even a level beyond that where she yeah. was, uh, she, I, I gave her, her, her mantra, her, her sound that she was supposed to repeat in her mind. I told her to close her eyes and then I was like, you know, after 30 seconds, I said, okay, st- 
Open your eyes now and open your eyes. Mm-hmm. Open your seriously, open your eyes. <laughs> like it's time. And she, oh, where was I? You know, and she was. Just, she had transcended. She had her transcended. Hearing, she her transcended all hearing, of her senses uh-huh. and kind of gone beyond everything. <clears throat> and, you know, and and she had this huge grin on her face because she'd kind of touched this very blissful state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's about one in a hundred people who have that experience the first time. Most people have it after about you know mm-hmm. four, a few days of practice. They'll start to have mm-hmm. that, but. Um, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, a really beautiful, but also thoroughly normal experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think most people, you know, we're, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're, we're all spiritual. It's not like Charlie's more spiritual than anybody else That's because right. he's a meditation teacher. So if we switch that way that we perceive ourselves and you just, Think back in your childhood or think back in your life. I, I can almost guarantee that every single person has had some form of some communication with something beyond, you know, where they're at. Yeah. Their physical body or. Yeah. Or, or, or it's, it's so common. And it's, it's sometimes people don't remember it until they have it again. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the beauties of um, teaching the classes that I teach is that, you know, they, they, they're reminded. They're like, oh, this is something I've had before. Right. And then it doesn't feel so weird to them anymore. Exactly. You know, they, they, people often have this, this is, there is this weird factor about mm-hmm. coming to a meditation class and learning to meditate. And people think maybe it's something that's, that only hippies do, or maybe it's something that only other kinds of people, all those relaxed mm-hmm. people. I'm uniquely type A and anxious mm-hmm. and my mind raises. I could never do that. That's only right. those, only those happy people meditate. It's like, yeah, they're happy because they meditate. <laughs> Not being, I mean, definitely in my case. Um, and it's, uh, but they still have this misconception. And so suddenly when they, when they remember, oh yeah, I've had this before. Mm-hmm. They just, it's like, it's, it's almost like you've forgotten how to go to sleep or something. And I'm just right. kind of teaching you like, oh yeah, here's this method. You can go to, you just put pajamas and then, on and lie and down. And you're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That, right. that makes me go to sleep. And yeah. I mean, I like also what you were saying about, about, um, you know, how your father had you commit to the practice, you know, and in, in a very committed way yeah. for, uh, three months, for I three think months. you said. And, when I'm teaching meditation or I'm sharing my process, you know, I say 40 days or at least 21, you know, if not 40. But the idea is, is that it's important that you don't judge it and you don't look for the experience because the second you look for the experience, it's not coming. That's right. And you know, the experience is very often something you don't expect. Mm -hmm. And so when people are thinking, okay, what are people always have this misconception you know, I, I get it and I get it all the time when I go to a yoga class and I, you know, I, I love my yoga classes and I love my yoga teachers, but they'll often do the little lip service to meditation at the end, uh-huh, yes. you know, and it's, and, and they'll, they'll see, you know, we'll, we'll be in Shavasana lying down and they'll, and they'll say, now close your eyes and clear your mind of all thoughts. And I feel like sort of saying, you know, putting my hand up and saying, look, as a fellow professional in the industry, let mm-hmm. me just point out that's step 10, not step one, you know, right, right. and if, you, if you're expecting it, that's what's going to happen the day that you, the first time you meditate, mm-hmm. it, it'll be something different actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, the different experience that you don't expect will usually be the more profound one mm-hmm. that you, um, because by definition, it's something that you haven't experienced well, within your memory anyway, you know, mm-hmm. you might not remember having had that experience before. And so, um, when it happens, mm-hmm. you, people are really surprised. Like the hands. Well, thing. the hands. Yeah. Who, who, who would have who, guessed? Exactly. Who would have guessed that one? But exactly. it's a re- that's one of the really common early stage, right. you know, transcendence experiences right. that people have. Right. And it's and it's um, 
And so people will often bring that one up in a class. Like I felt like my hands were going huge. <laughs> what was that all about? I was expecting to like commune with a golden light and have it talk to me and give me holy wisdom. Yeah. Now just instead so, I had elephantitis, had, had right. huge hands. I didn't want you know? that one. Right. Um, but actually, it's one of it's it's one of the mm. little check marks. Mm. I go, oh, yeah, that was actually a good meditation you just had now. Right, and I I think is the more open you can be, and the more um, just innocent, and and you know I always. Uh, I always advise like don't don't judge it like don't you're yeah. you just do the time you sign up and you do the time right. with no attachment and no judgment on what's going on right right well I think uh, yeah a couple things I mean first I think the the big stumbling block with a lot of people is you know well how do I I don't know how to do it I don't know how, how do I start or what am I supposed to do and they go to a yoga class and that and like you said somebody just says you know free your mind of thought and it's like well, I don't know how to do that you know as opposed to give somebody a task like repeat a mantra or hum or whatever something that they that they can focus on that will actually serve to quiet the mind so right. can you talk a little bit about somebody who's interested in this but just needs like a little kick to get going or something sure. that they can think about that they can implement well i mean the the, the the you know what you're speaking about here is that there are these traditions from around the world where people have actually thought about how to get into that state and that's where you know where i can actually bring some bring some knowledge to this you know there's later on in my life after i after I was living in Australia, I, I traveled to India, studied over there, did further study with my father, who's a great teacher. I know. Also... You just skipped right over India, but we got to talk about that. Oh, we'll yeah. We'll go back yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but you um, – I, I learned a lot from the Vedic tradition, which is the tradition from northern India, which is where yoga comes from. It's where Ayurveda comes from, if you know Ayurvedic medicine. And a lot of the, a lot of the knowledge that we have about – when you trace back the lineages of Buddhism and Zen and all these things, they all actually come from the Vedic tradition from northern India. Mm-hmm. Um, it literally as old as the hills. It comes from these, the hills of the hill, the, the, the mountains of northern India. And, and so how, how many thousands of years would you say? 6,000? Well, it's, it's debatable. Depends on, it depends on who you believe. If, uh, if the Western, the Western um, historians will say, you know, sort of maximum 3,000 years because that's when you can trace back the written accounts the of written it. vedas yeah the written vedas which are these you know amazing incredibly circuitous but brilliant um sanskrit epics um but of course sanskrit the language was an oral tradition prior to that so it probably goes back thousands of years prior to that and um the 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 vedic indians will tell you that it goes back you know tens of thousands mm-hmm. of years mm-hmm. and even more sometimes right. um so it depends on who you ask um predating the, the existence of humans yeah, yes, yes, yes yes they have a, they have a different chronology of the universe <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, you know they they've been right about a lot of things so mm-hmm. you know i i I'd certainly give them you know i'm i'm open minded about it um the uh, so anyway uh, there are these these traditions and techniques, and some of the really simple ones that they have. You know, there's basically um, four methods of meditation that exist. If you look at all the thousands of traditions from around the world and the different variants, you're either bringing yourself into a present state of awareness by bringing uh, bringing your your mind to your breath and just being aware of the present moment in some way. Usually, breathing is is the thing that you bring your mind to. You are the other method is to be focusing on something to be whether it's um, prayer beads, a prayer, a visualization, um, uh, 
some sort of contemplative thing of being in a special place or a shrine or a god or whatever it is, but focusing on something. Um, the third method is to repeat a mantra that will quiet the ego and the intellect and allow you to experience these subtler states of consciousness. And I want can you can you speak to that a little bit? I think the you know the mantra idea a lot of people struggle with that. Like, well, what is it? You know, what oh, is sure. it about repeating this word? And what's so special about the word that you're given? And sure. this word versus that word? Yeah. Well, there's, there's literally thousands of mantras. I mean, they're, they're, you know, and, and um, in actual fact, there's been some interesting research on just using kind of generic sounds. Like, there's a guy named Herbert Benson who did some really interesting research. Um, where he said, okay, right, let's just get rid of all the mantras and just use the word one and just repeat that. You know, use an English word and just repeat that. And it actually led to some pretty amazing results. So even that will work. It can just be the repetition of a sound that'll have really powerful effects. But what's really. And does it have to be out loud? Could it be in your mind? Ten, or? Yeah, in your mind is, seems to be the, the, the best way to do it, just to, to silently repeat it mentally. Um, and yeah, he's, he's an interesting. He's a, um, Herbert, if you're listening, you're, you're, you, should, you could improve your writing techniques. He's a terrible writer, but his but his ideas are good. And his research is really good. His, his books are worth reading to see if you can kind of get through the slightly um, pompous writing style. Um, if the, the 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 ideas are very good. Some good methods there. We but love with, you, Herbert. He's a great it's researcher. Fun. He's yeah. done some great research. He's a science serious scientist. Um, uh, he could use a ghostwriter. The um, the but the um, the mantras that come from northern India are really interesting. Um, they're, they seem to be these sort of primordial sounds that, that exist at the root of consciousness. And there's nothing terribly strange about that. There's actually linguists know now that there are certain words that exist in every culture around the, almost, almost every language. They'll have the same word for the same thing. Like mama is a, is a standard one that you know, almost every culture that means mother the same thing, babies say it spontaneously. And mm-hmm. it turns out to not be a coincidence. It seems to be kind of written into our brains that that word has that significance. And what's really interesting is that um, these mantras, the mantras that I use from the Vedic tradition, I also find them um, when I talk to like Kabbalistic meditation teachers from, who are from, you know, from Judaism, they'll have very similar or the same sounds that they use, they turn up all over the world in whatever culture you look at. Yeah, that's wild. It is really wild. And and what's even more interesting, I run a teacher training course where we take people away for three months and have them do really intensive meditation. At the very end of the three-month course, we'll tell them, I hear all the mantras. And very very often they'll say, when we, when we give them to them, like, oh, that's what those sounds were. They kept coming to me during my meditation. Mm. And uh, it seems to be that these particular set of sounds, and this is the story of their origin, by the way. When you when you trace back the story of it, there are these uh, sages who lived in the mountains of India, and they just spent a lot of time meditating, doing very very difficult practices, much more difficult than the ones that we do, because they didn't know the mantras back then. And over time, they started to just have these sounds spring into their mind, like, "Oh, that's interesting," you know, write that one down, and um, and to also notice that when people repeated these sounds it sort of brought them into the state of mind from which the sounds came from, which is this quieter state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a mental trigger, which just has this kind of soothing, calming effect on, on the ego and the intellect. Um, and so I've found um, there's, there's, there's a, a whole science and art to teaching them and giving the right one to the right person that comes from the Vedic tradition. Um, and I've found that when I've given the correct ones to people, um, it's had really powerful effects. When I've done a sort of my own research study where I've 
deliberately and with with people's consent, you know. So I'm going to give you the wrong one. Well, I, I don't tell them whether I'm going to give yeah. them the wrong one or the right one. But I've actually done a little done done my own sort of um, research study on it to see, and it's really interesting to see the the ones that that are the legitimate mantras have a much more powerful effect of bringing people into this very quiet, deep state of consciousness. So what are the when you're working with somebody and teaching them? And you're ready to give them their mantra. What are the variables that are running through your mind that help oh, yeah, you? Sure. What's the calculus in making that decision? Well, it, it kind of comes down to some of the things that we were talking about earlier. Um, the, you know, these powerful spiritual experiences that people have sometimes spontaneously. Um, you know, you can think of it. Just think of it in terms of you know, if there was a little baby, and that baby was to have. You know, when when I see my my little son, for example, I've got a, a seven month old baby boy. When I see him, sometimes he just kind of goes crazy when he looks at me. Like it, like just seeing me and having that powerful kind of love for father kind of thing will just overwhelm him so much. He kind of shakes his hands and his feet and he kind of wriggles all around, goes mm-hmm. nuts. Now, I have that same happiness when I see someone sometimes, but my nervous system has evolved to the point where I can experience that but not shake my arms and feet <laughs> around when that happens, um, <laughs> usually. And, uh, and so there's sort of a, a, an evolution of the nervous system that goes on over time. Um, and the same is true for these powerful spiritual experiences that people have. Some some experiences can kind of, you can have and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's all right. But then you go and get your cup of coffee and you're perfectly fine afterwards. Other ones, if you were to have it, would kind of freak you out a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 blow your mind a bit. And I think that if you hang around in kind of spiritual communities, everyone knows at least one person who seems like this kind of spiritual casualty. Their mind's been blown out a little mm-hmm. bit by some overwhelming experience they've never been quite able to metabolize. Um, now, basically over the span of thousands of years, these Vedic sages, they kind of figured out the right mantra, you know, for each different stage of development. You know, like if you, if you, can, if you can handle this kind of level of spiritual experience, then this mantra is right for you. And this one is the right one here later on in life and so on. And so your mantra can change. It's not something you take with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Life. And so o- over, over time, um, you know, in an ideal society, if, if we lived kind of a healthy, good lifestyle and we had a well-balanced society, what you'd hope is that over time you'd become more and more evolved and able to experience deeper and more powerful things. But ha, 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 we don't live in that kind of society. People wreck themselves in all sorts of different ways through drugs or bad lifestyle or just hanging out with horrible people or whatever. And so their growth is slowed down. And so there are specific signs that a trained teacher um, is trained to look for to be able to give away whether a person is at the right. Mm-hmm. They, they might have accelerated their growth or held it back in certain ways and the right march would be appropriate for them at that time. Now, interestingly, uh, you can learn your mantra and you know, keep using it for decades, and it will still work for you because over time, um, it becomes almost like a Pavlovian response. You know, you start to repeat it, and you and it has that effect of bringing you into this quieter state of consciousness enough times that your mind knows how to get there, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of whether it has the the uh, the mantra to guide it or not. It's a little bit like if you go to a new city. At first, you need the GPS to guide you around everywhere, but after you've driven a certain route enough times, you're like, okay, I can. I right. can do this without the guide. And so, you know, the, at that point, after a, a few years of practice, you just kind of, you sit there and you think your mantra a few times and you, and you just, you know, you go into this deep state of consciousness very quickly and easily. And so it's still effective, uh, but just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it can change as well over time. Like you, you, there are advanced techniques that you can learn that would 
change the mantra and have really it's like the the qualitative aspect the qualitative experience that you have is very different Mm -hmm. when you practice some of these advanced techniques compared to some of the um beginner ones and so um yeah it's it's powerful it's it's really interesting stuff And when you were learning these techniques, when you went to the when you went to northern India, mm-hmm. I mean, were you studying under masters and sitting in the caves of yeah. the, yeah. you know in the mountains? Like, yeah. what what was that like? Uh, so it's uh, yeah, a, a bit of all of the above. You know, I've, I've of course spent my life studying the stuff because I had as master teacher for a father. But um, it's been a really nice thing to go to. I, I go to India regularly, actually, and and I study more. And so various different masters, I have, you know, sat in the caves and, and sat for long periods of time. And sometimes it's a matter of um, just really going and metabolizing the experience. And so, you know, you go up into the mountains of northern India and there is this kind of, the, the, when, you, when you go there, you realize it's, it's not an accident that this incredible philosophical spiritual tradition came from here. It's a place that kind of is infused with that energy. And so as soon as you're there, you just kind of, you feel it, you know, and it's, um, so that's, that's a big part of it as well, but it's, it's really nice to go and sit with some of these masters who have been keeping consistent with the tradition for thousands of years. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, you know, I was saying earlier about how all cultures and traditions have a form of meditation within them. And it's true, but some, but in India you have this great confluence of, um, it's also a tradition which has um, the culture has been around for a long time, unbroken. So you have this unbroken lineage. They have um, some cultures don't have, like for example, the Aboriginal Australian Aboriginal culture. They don't have you know writing. Mm-hmm. Um, they have <clears throat> other ways of memorizing knowledge. They have songs and so on and rituals. But um, in India, they have Sanskrit, which is this incredibly incredibly rich and detailed language with these epics and stuff like that. And there's, it's like a code. It has a lot of the knowledge that was transmitted from thousands of years ago and recontextualized by – it's a scholarly tradition that, that, that has developed over thousands of years. So they've developed a lot of these um, concepts and traditions uh, really in, it's so deeply, much more deeply than many other cultures have. And so it's um, – when you sit with some of these people who are the, the, the descendants of these long lineages – you're literally just you know drinking the drinking from the source. You're getting getting this great knowledge that's that's uh, coming down from thousands of years of work. Yeah, I mean, you hear these. Uh, well, first of all, you so it's this confluence of this incredibly ancient language, the most ancient language, right? Mixed with this geography, mixed with this tradition, this unbroken chain. And actually, a culture—it's a cultural priority, like sort of spiritual expansion, spiritual growth, spiritual searching—is is like a cultural mandate there. Yeah, you know what is, I mean, yeah. in a way that it just doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, I've never been to India, so it's all—I mean, Julie, you went to Arunachala. Yeah, well, I mean, the that. spirituality is supported in India. I mean, so it's uh, it's sort of the most important thing. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I I've met these. You know, you meet these these guys and women too, but but it happened to be guys in this case um, who you know have kind of given up everything to wander the earth, and they wear mm-hmm. the robes, and they kind of you know renunciates wear, renunciates who've mm-hmm. given up all their possessions, and and um, they've gone to follow a tradition, find a master, and study. And I was talking to this one guy who just he, he really looked the part, you know, straight out of central casting for a for a spiritual kind of Indian guy, you know, long beard, orange robes. 
the 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 painted symbol right. on his forehead and you know the long hair and everything the beads and the staff and the whole like you know this obi-wan kenobi <laughs> of india you know in orange great, great orange yeah, he's a great guy and so we're sitting on the banks of the ganges river the holy river in india and talking and i was kind of soaking up all of his incredible knowledge you know he was really like quite brilliant and and at the end of sitting and talking to him for a couple hours and just you know writing everything down and it's like man, this guy's like he must have just lived in the himalayas his whole life in some monastery or something and I find out that, you know, five years ago he was actually an advertising executive living in Mumbai. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, there's a, and, and that's actually the story of a lot of these people. Is right. that they, they, they get to a certain point, they're like, okay, cool, I've done the whole materialist thing now, and now I'm going to go off and just mm-hmm. sit in the mountain and meditate in robes for the rest of my life. And, and that's, in, and in that's, India, you can do that, and it's, it's okay. It's Whereas in of, America, you're just a bum. Exactly. You know, like yeah. just, I'm almost bummed. Yeah, yeah. That. And it's actually it's a, it's a real shame. You know, I see a lot of people... You know, a lot of people come in, especially here in LA, a lot of people who come to learn with me are people who've gone through 12-step programs and people who are trying to get off drugs. And the consistent experience that I see there is that people are actually looking for a spiritual spiritual release and absolution and kind of like some something that takes them beyond themselves. And you'll use the best tools available to you from your culture. And it's unfortunate that in our culture, the only tools we have are, you know, drugs and... Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if, if you sex, sex as well, yeah, sure. Gambling. Well, the big one shopping. Yeah. Right. Consumerism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate opiate of, you know, our culture, I think. Completely. And so people, people will draw on these things and, and, and what they want is to have something which, which takes them beyond, you know? And so it just in, in, in these cultures in India, you know, they, they've just got something, they've got this other thing which actually works much better, you know, and it's, and it will give you this deeper experience. And it's really nice you know, teaching here and beginning to have this little seed of culture where people are, you know, just sitting in a room, closing their eyes and finding that sense of absolution. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a really powerful thing and, you know, it allows you to say, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll choose this rather than those unhealthy habits, which would have taken me somewhere else. And that's what most, right. of the, that's what most of these guys who are doing this in India have got that we don't. Right. But I think in, in, in you relating that, you know, it brings up another kind of fear or barrier that, that someone might have, which is this idea that if you start doing this, then you're going to mm-hmm. be a renunciant. Right. You're going to lose your rooms. house and you're going to be, you know, wandering around <laughs> Venice and sleeping in a dumpster. You right, know? Right. Whereas I remember years ago, uh, Russell Simmons used to go to this yoga class that, w- that we went to and he would tell Steve, the teacher, he's like, man, if I keep meditating and coming to yoga, I'm going to lose all my business. You know, huh. I'm going to go broke, right. you know, and and uh, he doubled down on his meditation and yoga and, like, you know, doubled his business or whatever right. the next year or whatever. So it's not about, like, you know, I think there's that idea, like, you know, this idea that if you do it, you're going to change who you are or, you know, lose what you have. Well, or, I mean, you know, I how think- do you approach that if for somebody who's new and has harbors that kind of sentiment? Well, luckily, there are all these counterexamples that you can instantly quote. You can look at like mm-hmm. your Steve Jobs type of guy, is a, medita- a serious Zen meditator who was, you know, started one of the most successful technology companies in the world, one of the, one of the most highly valued companies in the world. Investors like Ray Dalio, who's like a he, investors look at him like he's a god, you know, he's, but he's a, a guy who credits all of his success to meditation. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people like that who you can point to and just say, well, you know, these guys didn't lose their Billions and you know Richard Branson's right. another guy you know is another meditator. There was a big article in I think it was the New York Times a couple months ago about how it's really 
become the rage in Silicon Valley. It's almost like a must-do thing for the the sort of successful entrepreneur on the rise. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in India, you know, again, because, you know, this isn't, you no, know, for us, this is the first time we're asking this question. For them, they've been asking this question for thousands of years. So they actually have some good answers to it. Yeah. They actually have two different traditions. You know, they've got one tradition, which is for renunciates, and one which is for what they call householders, which are people who have possessions and and uh, stresses, you know, basically, mm-hmm. that come with possessions. And you're teaching the householder. I'm teaching the householder technique. Yeah, I mean, that's that's and that's you know, they're, they're, if if a monk were to come to me and want to learn to meditate, I have to teach them a whole different set of techniques to what I normally teach in a regular class. Um, because it's just, it's, it's actually not for them. Right. There's a lot of assumptions you can make. If someone's a monk, then you can assume that they actually can close their eyes and clear their mind of all thoughts. You know, they only eat brown rice and live on a mountain somewhere and don't have any sexual relationships or anything. Right. So straight- if that, like I wanted to ask you about, um, these, you hear these stories about these sadhus who sit in meditation for, you know, six months and they have right. people that kind of tend to them more yeah. and they don't move and, and the idea of the breathitarian who sort of transcended this, this right. need to eat food, or right. I mean, have, did, have you witnessed any? Have you witnessed this kind of thing, or where where oh, does the truth lie on these? That's a, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, in terms of the breathitarian, you'd have to actually sit and watch someone for you know nonstop for six I guess, months. Right. I've never had the patience to do that yet, yeah. so I, I can't give you a definitive answer on that one. But there really are people who sit you know for months at a time, and they do, ha- and they'll have people come and bring them a little handful of rice or something like that, mm-hmm. and they'll subsist on very little and just sit in one place for for months at a time. And it's quite amazing to see. There are stories of people doing it for years. Right. And, and can, you I develop can, it, the ability to control your metabolism. You lower your heart yeah. rate, you lower your respiratory rate. Like Absolutely. All these sort of things are, are actually under your control to somebody who is a master. Absolutely. And so you know, now when we think of something like yoga, we think of something that's actually pretty much it's more like aerobics now in the West. But in India, when, if you're referred to as a yogi, you're a person who's mastered your nervous system, mastered your body. And they'll do things like you know, they'll hike up into the mountains and they'll find a frozen pond up in the mountains and they'll crack a hole in the ice and sit in the freezing water for eight hours in meditation. Oh, right. And they do this by intense body control. Now, you ask, you know, the standard you know, yoga works yogi they could do that and they, they couldn't. They, well, of course not. They, they it has have, nothing to do with how you do your down dog. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, there, there's, there's a whole set of different techniques. And the, the, but the important thing to understand here is that um, the expertise and mastery of that comes first. Someone who's doing that, they're not suffering in that state. You know, people, we look at that and go, oh my God, that must be so painful. But to that person, if you ask them like, no, man, I'm in this kind of blissful, ecstatic state inside I've just kind of gone beyond. There's that ultimate, the thing that you know, I was talking about earlier of like going beyond the senses. They go beyond their sense of touch and pain and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and they, you know what? When we talked at dinner in New York, you were talking about these additional senses, and I'd never heard anybody oh, yeah. explain that in that way. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? You remember what sure, we were talking yeah, about? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're told that we have five senses. Um, some people say we have a six, but they're, they're all wrong. Um, you, you, you actually, you M. have night Shyamalan. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. M. That was night. a bad joke. Sorry. Um, but there's, um, you, you, I mean, and I'm not talking like, you know, some sort of spiritual mumbo jumbo, like just straight up science. You know, you, you have, um, you know, your sense of, first of all, your sense of smell and your sense of taste are actually just one sense, just, just through your nose. It's more sensitive. Um, oh, really? That's one thing. Yeah. It's just one thing. It's, chem- it's chemical sensitivity. It's ability, ability to, to determine different chemicals, um, three senses. So mm. most, if, if people who lose their sense of smell lose their sense of taste as well, it's, most of taste is actually smell. Um, 
then, but then if you, if you look at your sense of balance, for example, that's a sense. Right. We don't talk about that very much, but it's, that's another one of your senses. Um, then you have, if you, then what we call touch is actually broken up into several different things. So you have, um, your pressure sensitivity, pain sensitivity, hot and cold sensitivity, um, uh, proprioception, which is the knowledge of where the body is in space. Um, I think that's most of them, but that, that one's, it's actually, yeah, like, and that's, that's, that has to do with the hand thing, right? right, when, you, right. when you sort of go into meditation and you lose that sense or you transcend that sense, that's when you don't know how big your hand is or exactly. where it is in space. And or, you, you might even feel like you don't have a body. Sometimes people just feel like my, my whole body just disappeared, you know, which mm-hmm. is kind of a cool experience to have. But you know, the proprioception is, like if you if you close your eyes and try to bring your hands together, you can do it without looking, and you can do it over behind your head or in front of you in front of you or behind your back, or whatever, because you just have this innate sense of where your body is. That's actually one of your senses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very useful for gymnasts and dancers and yoga people and stuff like that. And so when you meditate, you you go, you go beyond all of these senses, and each one can actually kind of turn off independently. And so, for example, there. Are, are techniques I teach for pain management, and I've taught it. You know, people with stage four cancer uh, who have, in, you know, on a morphine drip and just taking huge amounts of painkillers. I'll teach them these uh, pain management techniques, and they'll manage to. And you know, morphine's terrible. You know, if you're on high high dosages of it, you're just off in space. You're like you can't communicate with some with you know people. Maybe someone's final days, and they can't communicate or be mm-hmm. with their family. It's a terrible tragedy. Um, but, you know, obviously they should do it if that's the only option that they have. But as soon as you – people have practiced these pain techniques and they've, they can decrease their morphine usage by um, – uh, and be able to, like, sort of be there and be present much more because they're using a meditation technique. I had a person who was allergic to painkillers who had to get major dental surgery and I taught him the same techniques. And he could, he could go beyond his sense of pain and he managed to have this dental surgery without any, without any painkillers and wow. be perfectly comfortable during the process. And so, uh, you know, these, these are actually really useful things that we can do and use for specific things. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's amazing. <laughs> it's hot in here, right? It's getting, we're, just, getting, getting we're, uh, we're baking in the, yeah. in the podcast studio today. Yeah, right. But, um, um, I was going to ask you, can you share one of your pain management techniques? I have one that I use, but I wonder if it's uh, if it's a similar one. I use uh, one where I um, I take my awareness into the center of the pain, mm-hmm. and then I describe it very, very viscerally, like mm-hmm. qualities like um, okay, is it is it does it have a color? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it rough? Is it smooth? Is it does it have an emotion? Is there a memory there? And by the time I get through all of that. Then you go, where's the pain? And the pain will move. It'll go somewhere else. Right. So if I found for my own self, if I, uh, the thing is that it needs a facilitator to actually guide you. So if I have a, a willing facilitator and about 45 minutes, I can uh, have somebody do that with a migraine level um, headache and completely dissolve it. The challenge is, is that you have to have a facilitator in 45 minutes. I can do right. it. Fairly well with myself, but not as good as if someone's facilitating. Is it similar? Uh, yeah, well, it's 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 different. That that sounds like a fascinating technique, though. I'm I'm, I'm very curious to know more about that. But uh, that um, the technique for managing pain, it's a little difficult to teach it over the over a podcast, just because it assumes the ability to meditate already to be able to transcend. Right. 
And so, uh, but uh, but I can describe what you do. Right. Um, you uh, will simply bring your awareness to the palms of the hands, palms mm-hmm. facing up. I'll actually get someone to run their fingernail over the palm of their hands so they can feel, like to, to basically kind of scratch the palm of their hand mm-hmm. with their fingernail so they can feel the sensation. If you do kind of do it at home right now, just uh, scratch your, the palm of your hand, you can feel, you, you actually feel it up for quite a while afterwards. Right. You uh-huh. feel the sensation in the palms of your hands. Mm-hmm. So you, then you close your eyes and you begin thinking your mantra or whatever technique you happen to be using at the time. And you start to just feel the sensation, the palms and the hands fading away and fading away and fading away and fading away. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, that sensation will continue to fade away. And beyond the point when the sensation, the palms and the hands fades away, um, then the mantra will begin to take you deeper and deeper and deeper. And at a certain point, you'll even start to go even further past your sense of touch and you start to really have this clear sense of, wow, I'm not feeling anything anymore. Then all of a sudden when you realize that, you've actually come out of the state again. You feel it. So the pain will come back. <laughs> right. So then mm-hmm. you begin the process again. Mm-hmm. You, you, you run your fingernail over the palms of your hands again mm-hmm. and, and feel the sensation fade away and fade away and fade away. Come to your mantra, repeat, 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 mm-hmm. repeat. Begin to transcend your sense of touch again. And you keep doing this over and over again. What, it, what this does is it actually trains your brain to be able to go beyond your sense of touch and your sense of pain because this is the direction that you go. This, this is the actual mechanism, mm-hmm. the sequence that you, the brain has to go through to be able to experience mm-hmm. this sensation beyond pain. And uh, it, it's, it's such a simple technique. It's powerful. It's really powerful. Now, it does require that you've, you've, you've already gotten some expertise in, in, uh, in transcending and kind of mm-hmm. going beyond the senses. But again, that can be trained in like a matter of like a day or two. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, I, I, I give myself four days just to be safe, but you know, really like two days is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone, you know, people will usually start to experience that. And so it can be a really helpful thing, especially for chronic pain as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of chronic pain that people have, uh, doctors don't even, they can't even tell what's wrong with you. You know, just right. this weird mm-hmm. pain. Right. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they're like, well, there's nothing wrong with you that we can see. You shouldn't be feeling this pain. Like, well, I am. <laughs> so <laughs> right. that's not, not terribly so helpful. So now what do I do? So, right. you know, you can either dose yourself up on, mm-hmm. on horrible drugs that have side effects or you mm-hmm. can start to train your brain to go beyond the pain. I've worked with people with, with terrible back spasms and knee problems and all sorts of things. What about migraines? Yeah, migraines, definitely. Meditation is mm-hmm. super helpful for migraines. Mm-hmm. I have a theory about migraines. I don't know if it's actually oh, true. But I think Julie would like us. to hear that. Tell me. You know, oh, yeah. you know Julie's, you know, she's struggle with migraines and as a, has been able to kind of master them when they come up. But yeah. um, it's still I actually have a, a great with. protocol right yeah. now that's been working really well, but tell me. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, what I think uh, migraines are caught, you know, your body's doing this constant synchrony between two different halves of the nervous system, the, the, um, the, uh, the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, which are basically responsible for relaxation or stress. And, um, and, you know, literally every every time you inhale, you're using one half of it. Every time you exhale, using the other half. Um, and there's a lot of things like um, like sex, for example, requires synchrony between the two halves in really interesting ways. You have to the the parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for relaxation, and to become sexually aroused, you have to be more in the parasympathetic mode. But to have an orgasm, you have to be more in the sympathetic mode. That's so the, mm-hmm. the part responsible for stress. <clears throat> Um, and so, which is really interesting, but your body is good. There's a lot of tasks that your body does. that requires this constant back and forth between switching this half on and switching that half on. And I think that migraines are caused by mistiming between these two different halves being fired at the same time. Um, which, uh, and so 
basically what you, to, to be able to manage migraines, what I, what I teach people to do is to switch back and forth in a very deliberate way between uh, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system when they're not having a migraine, you know, when they're just sitting, sitting there. So there's different breathing patterns you can use. If you, one of the simplest meditation techniques you can practice, actually, is uh, just counting your exhale for four counts and counting your inhale for two counts. And what that does is the exhale is um, parasympathetic nervous system, is stimulated. The inhale is sympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system, remember, is for, for stress and anxiety. So you're basically teaching your body to be more on the relaxation side. Um, if you were to do the opposite, though, and take long, like long inhales and short exhales, then you are triggering the sympathetic nervous system, which is right. responsible for stress and anxiety. Um, so what you can do is do two minutes of each. You do two minutes of, of counting, doing like, a, like an exhale, one, two, three, four, and inhale, one, two, exhale, one, two, three, mm-hmm. four, inhale, one, two. And then two minutes later, you do the exact opposite pattern. And you switch. You, you do this maybe switch back and forth maybe three or four times. So it might take like eight eight minutes or so to to do this. And what you're doing is is sort of triggering each different half to go at the right times. And um, I've taught this to several people who have just like horrendous chronic migraines based on th- on a theory that I had, and it seems to be really really effective. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd it's so. So like in my Kriya practice, mm-hmm. so I'm doing very, I'm doing even inhales and exhales, mm-hmm. but spinal breathing. Mm-hmm. So you're saying one of those should be shortened. Well, I say that, that, that you should, that, uh, I mean, it'll be a different practice. I want sure, I want, sure. Yeah, that it's, practice. That's, that's true. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Like different techniques are really good for different things. Um, I would actually devote some time specifically to this, um, to, just doing like, and, and you don't have to worry too much about like, am I breathing to my abdomen or to my spine or any of those different things? Just breathing in mm-hmm. and breathing out, and just keep it really simple. Because if you try to think about too many things at once, and mm-hmm. you could probably handle it just fine, but for the average mm-hmm. person, it's going to be like mental much, mental right? juggling mm-hmm. too much. Mm-hmm. So you just like breathe in for um, out for two. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, so breathe out for out for four, in for two, then mm-hmm. switch the other one. Mm-hmm. And you switch back and forth, and you basically tra- you're again sort of training your brain. So like, this is the way you're going to work. And it's literally mm-hmm. just doing kind of like you know sort of circuit training. So in other words, yeah, mm-hmm. you're you're basically f- facilitating better communication between these two s- these, systems these two different, yeah, and kind systems. of rebooting the system around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? But what led you to this theory? That <laughs> <laughs> this is yes. what is leading to migraines. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a a, a girlfriend who. Um, this may this may be I don't know what 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 rating this podcast has, but you can, you can say, say whatever, whatever you want. Say whatever you want. Yeah. Go ahead. So I had this girlfriend who was just she's actually the one that I ran away from home with my my uh-huh. my, my looping love. Awesome. Um, and she had uh, terrible terrible migraines, and she was just mm-hmm. she she would have them so bad she'd begin to hallucinate and just like be like a whole day she'd spend in this. You know, she'd have the auras come on beforehand, and it was she could, it would start like oh no a migraine's coming. And uh, she found out, though, that if when she got these early signs of it where the auras start to came, come, if she went and masturbated, mm-hmm. it would prevent the migraine from yeah, coming well, there's, on. Yeah, there's lots of studies that that, that's, yeah. that, that works. 
And that so, sounds a lot more fun than the breathing technique. Well, well, it's it's it can be socially awkward. Though. <laughs> <laughs> so, I need to go right now. Well, that would happen. You on, could also have sex. You don't have to masturbate. Well, you, yes, but again, that 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 requires another person, another person to be there and be willing. And, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, which is you know it's it's fine for me. It was like it was like oh you're gonna have a migraine awesome. <laughs> you know, but, but um. But, you know, there would be situations where we'd be like at dinner and, and she'd be like, oh, I, I've got to go. I've got to go in the, in the bathroom for two minutes. <laughs> and, oh, um, only two minutes. Uh, yeah, she was, a, she was, a, she fish, was a master. She was efficient. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, but then, so I started to think about this and think about, you know, the way that, the way that sexual arousal and orgasm are linked to the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and the way there's a choreography between the two. And maybe that what was going on is that was kind of just rebooting the system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like turning your computer off mm-hmm. and turning it back on again. And suddenly the system is reboot and you can start to have this kind of, you can have proper functioning again. Interesting. And so what I wanted to do, and the, the other problem with that technique is it didn't seem to be, no matter how much she did that technique, it didn't seem to be training her to not have the orga- the orgasm, the uh, the migraines. So it wasn't it wasn't place. curing them. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was just it was just kind it's of not real healing. Right. It was it was sort of band aid solution kind of thing, and a, you know, and a good one. But this, uh, so I started to think about this over, over years actually, and having a lot of people come to me and learn to meditate and having migraines and so on. And I just started to experiment with it, you know, and I knew that, that breathing was the simplest way to interface with the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, and bing bada boom it all seemed to work and seemed to actually train seems to train people to not have the migraines in the first place which is the more important thing wow yeah Mm -hmm. super simple that's crazy you might try try that that. absolutely yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean a lot of times when i get them i'm it's uh when i'm coming back into my body after being out somewhere right who knows where right and um i can feel it i don't get the the flashing things and and i call them migraines but they're not really they're not you know diagnosed migraines right um but i can feel all this kind of funny you know it's like i'm not in my body my energy's not in yeah so that would be um that would be uh, really super helpful i've i've actually um come across an amazing protocol that's been working just miraculously and uh it is the water enema whoa (laughs) yeah (laughs) Seriously, and the thing is, I mean, it's it's just um, it's miraculous because it works so powerfully, and it's just you know two quarts of of warm water, no herbs, and um, you just do it. You can do it like um, until the migraine subsides, but it's literally like within uh, ten minutes there's relief, right. and then I can be good for like two hours or three hours, and then I might have to repeat it. But when you're a migraine sufferer, you have to take medication or you feel weird the next day and then the next day. Mm. This has been helping me tremendously. And it, it's, it's, it's amazing. My friend, uh, I have a girlfriend who's a master gardener and she turned me on to it. And I was resistant at first, you know, just sort of exhausted people mm. telling me, you know, try this or do this. You mm. know, you get kind of worn down. For sure. But, um, I, you know, I trusted her and, and I don't have an issue with it at all. Um, so anyway, it's, it's awesome. It's been amazingly helpful. 
It's it's uh, I especially like it because it, it stays within my theory because the gut is the is the is like the the punching bag for the autonomic nervous system, mm-hmm. and so you know generally when people get 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 really stressed. The first thing that they will get affected is their bowels mm-hmm. and their stomach. That's why mm-hmm. you know, stomach ulcers and irritable bowel syndrome mm-hmm. get really affected by stress and anxiety, and so it seems to be that's another way where you're kind of you're basically tricking your body into thinking that it's going into the other mode of the of the nervous system. Okay. And you know because normally what happens when you relax you'd be able to you know right. be expect to expel your feces exactly. um, to release to release, yeah. That's right. Um so yeah but it's 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 I like that so like a a little body hack for um it really, for for sort of getting getting your brain into that in, or your yeah. nervous system into that right mode. Yeah. Absolutely, but I'll I mean I'm going to experiment with the breathing and I'll add that in and then yeah. see like how long between because I just I think I am this kind of being I'm just sensitive on these other levels and so it just shows up. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So I just have to be able to manage it and you know pranayama and all the breathing. You know when I teach yoga, I teach. Um, I'm always drawing the attention back to the body, like mm-hmm. whole body breathes, whole mm-hmm. body breathes, like mm-hmm. the whole time. Right. So the breath is powerful and balancing, you know, both channels. And so I think you're onto something. Yeah. I think yeah. It could be amazing. I mean, it's, uh, and it, I find that simplicity works really well to, mm-hmm. you know, what, if you can give someone a simple solution, that's 80% effective. They're more likely to do it than a complex solution, which is 100% effective, you know. <laughs> and this one seems to be that perfect sweet spot where it takes mm-hmm. like eight minutes. But you have to you have to do it. It's like training. You right. have to do it every day. The good thing is it actually feels pretty good when you do it. Right, sure. Um, you actually, and you, you feel like you've kind of conditioned your nervous system mm-hmm. in a very real way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I just recommend end, begin and end on the relaxation version of that cycle, which is the long exhales and short inhales, so okay. that afterwards you feel relaxed. Rather so than land, feeling, end on the long exhale. Yeah, because you, yeah. you'll feel a really distinct difference. Mm-hmm. When you switch over to the other mode, you'll go, oh, man, I feel kind of anxious and mm-hmm. excitable, you know, and like you're ready to go to, to jump up. But then yeah. when you do the other one, you're like, oh, that's really relaxing and nice. You're just triggering, you feel you're triggering your nervous system in, right. in a really mm-hmm. real way. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, you use the word... Uh, the phrase uh, "body hack," yeah. but me- I mean, meditation really is a—it's a—it's a mental hack. Really, it it's is a body. It's a physical hack. It's a mental yeah. hack. It's an emotional hack. It's both, you know. And I, I think when people ask me what meditation is, I, I just define it as um, any method where you're using, you're changing your state of consciousness using only your your body or your mind, and you know, so it excludes like using drugs and so on. Um, but it's, but it really is that there's, there's so many different methods that you can use, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and they all have basically, you know, the, the people who've studied this stuff and both the scientists in the modern age and also the sages from Japan and India and China and so on, they, um, basically catalog these different methods for triggering the body and mind in different ways. And that's on one level, that's all it is. You know, right. and you, you can just keep it as simple. It's it's like a it's just a, a really systematic body and mind hack, mm-hmm. you know, that you can do. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's important also to say that you know meditation is going to reveal more of who you are. And, That's right. And we're all different. That's so, right. So I mean, there's a reason that you know we incarnated into you know this part of the world. Yeah. And that you know you're not living in a cave somewhere. So. There should be no fear or no projection over, like, if you meditate, then you're going to be, you're not going to be pulled off your course. You're going to be totally aligned on your course. Right. And, you know, you as a soul, you know, designed your life. Like, your life is for your unfoldment. It's for your 
evolution. And so all of us, you know, want to get aligned to that, which we really are. So it's really meditation is aligning to your authentic self. There's no, there's no tricks or, you know, or, you know, some danger that you're going to, you know, fall into someone else's life. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's, it, all, I can tell you that everyone who's taken my meditation classes have all been very unique individuals and they've, mm. they've all maintained their amazing, unique and wonderful mm. qualities. It's just made them stronger. In mm. fact, in, in, in mm. every way. And you mm. see these people are so different, you know, mm. and, and it's, it's actually beautiful when you see, when you get rid of, like, I think of the stress and anxiety as being the muck that covers up the window mm. so that you can't actually see what that, see inside and see who that person really is. Mm. Once you clear that off, then it's amazing. You have this incredible clarity and they have this incredible clarity too. Like they can actually see out, you know, and, of course. and it's, and it's, uh, it's an, it's a, it's an amazing thing to watch and it's, it's the unfoldment of the self. And I, you know, I think of it, it's just, you know, it's like people get up in the morning, they brush their teeth, you know, you clean your mouth. Mm-hmm. And you should pay the same amount of attention to your brain. Right. You know, as you get up and clean your it's brain. It's a little dusty in there. I yeah. don't know, man. That's very threatening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that the if there's one sort of consistent theme with this podcast, it's really about bringing a diversity of people to the listener to empower them to create greater self empowerment over your life. Right. right? And there really isn't anything more powerful than developing a mastery over your conscious self. If yeah. you can master that or at least take steps towards that mastery, then the kingdom is yours. Absolutely. I mean, really. And if you're, you know, if you're stuck in life, if you don't like your job, if you if you're not sure, you know, who you are, how you want to express yourself, if you, you know, are feeling aimless or misguided or, you know, unanchored, mm-hmm. honestly, like, you know, the greatest gift you could give to yourself is to begin some form of meditation practice mm-hmm. with a technique that resonates with you. Exactly. And you will develop a greater connection with who you are who you're meant to be at a very minimum, you'll, you'll be more expressive in your creativity. You'll feel more grounded in who you are, more comfortable in yourself, more self-assured. I mean, there's really no limit. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you know, I, 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 as a, as a, as a quick plug and shout out too. I mean, we, I've just spent a lot of time working on these online courses. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah, Go cool. for it. Though. Yeah. Well, you know, the, um, <laughs> well, the, the idea of that, I mean, I, I teach a lot in, in, uh, where I live in Venice, um, and that's Venice Beach, not Venice, Italy. Right, and you're carrying on a great tradition of having Australians who live in Venice be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think we, I think every other guest we have is from Australia. It's becoming ridiculous. That's funny. You know, I should just we should just move the show to we Australia. We have to go to Australia and podcast from you Australia. You really should. Yeah, we yeah. absolutely do. We should. Well, Venice is it's, it's little Sydney. It's it's really it's, yeah. it's just full of people from Sydney. It's very it's very much like <laughs> Sydney. Um, but then. Uh, so then, yeah, uh, where was I? Your online courses. Your online, online courses. Course. Yes, yes, spend yes, a lot of time. Well, you know, I, I teach in Venice. And I, I teach a lot in, in Manhattan as well, um, sometimes in San Francisco and Miami. But there's like that's basically my, my four places in America that I teach. And what do you know? There's actually people that live in other places sure. you know, that exactly. might, might actually benefit from learning. And, and especially people in smaller towns where it's just, it's just harder – to make it make economic sense to go and to, you know, to fly into a place and stay for a week and teach meditation classes in, in these small towns, you know, and, um, or just places where there's just not, a, not as much, um, momentum behind it as there mm-hmm. is obviously on the beach in California and places like, like New York. 
Um, so, you know, we made these courses that are really super accessible and I've, I, I've gone through kind of trying to really demystify the practice and make it really easy for anyone uh, to be able to learn. And I'm, I'm really happy with the way they came out. They're really, they're great, they're great courses. And I, I actually started, I started playing some of them back and, um, you know, I'm very self-critical actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a bit of a, Every, we all are. A bit, bit, bit of a perfectionist mm-hmm. and, um, and it was, and so, and, and so I was actually quite pleasantly surprised when I was listening back to them and going, man, these mm-hmm. are actually, you know, it's actually, actually kind of nice. I'm actually feeling more meditative just from listening to <laughs> it. Good. No, the courses are, yeah. it, it is amazing. You did an incredible job. You know, Julie and I have, uh, viewed all the videos and obviously that's how, how we met. We right. didn't, we didn't know each other before this right. opportunity came up where we both did these online courses with mind, body green. And, uh, and you had shot yours. I want to talk about this a little yeah. bit. You did yours in New York, and you did it like two months or so before we shot ours. And then, and you had shot yours, and then Jason from Mind Valley Green came to LA, and we had all this big dinner at Cafe Gratitude where we met you. And you, yeah. were, you were, we were asking you all these questions about yeah. like how did the shoot go, and what did you do, and how yeah. did you get ready? Because mm-hmm. I was all nervous mm-hmm. about what, how we were going to do ours. And mm-hmm. you had a lot of great input and feedback and you did um and we used a lot of your advice oh, in doing ours yours is uh so it's incredible you. and you know look charlie is a world-renowned teacher um and uh you know personal access to him is yeah. not cheap you know yeah, that's right not yeah. free certainly yeah. yeah and uh you know you are i mean if somebody wants to hire you to coach them or to teach them you're available to that right but it's not you know it's not oh it's sure not yeah cheap i mean thing. You, well I, I run i run classes um that that are a bit more affordable you know for take my four-day class it's about five it's five hundred dollars unless mm-hmm. you're a student or military where it's 275 um but you know they they we wanted to price these mind body green courses more re- more accessibly i'd say right. I, th- I think my price is actually pretty reasonable but um but to make it more accessible to a broader range of people so it's like 99 dollars to take it yeah and and, it, and how many hours of content is it it's about six and a half hours uh broken up into 10 to 15 minute some of some right. are as short as five minutes the idea is that you'd spread you you can spread this out over about three months of study and, by, and I go through, I mentioned earlier, you know, four different basic schools of meditation. They everything, four different categories that, every, that all meditation techniques fall into. Mm-hmm. And I go through techniques in all four different categories. And so it's really sort of made to be, you know, how, how can someone approach this? And whatever kind of person you are, there's one of the techniques in there is going to work for you. And so it gives you this capacity to try out different things. If you wanted to then study more and learn more about a specific tradition, it's a great jumping off point, but it's also completely self-contained. Like you could, mm-hmm. you could just study that and get a lifetime of benefit from it. Right. You're you could sad. be somebody who's never meditated one day in their life and doesn't right. know anything about it. And you could take the course and it would tell you everything you need to know to get going. Or you could be an experienced person and right. maybe you're coming from a different tradition or maybe the same tradition, but just to go deeper and learn more. Yeah. I've had several people actually who've written to me and said that, you know, they, they, they were students of Zen or students of some other technique. And, um, and you know even Vedic meditation, which I, which is the, the the technique that I typically teach the most, and uh, and they've um, they've then taken these courses, and it's just you know there's these other methods that they've never mm-hmm. encountered with different ways, different. It's like you know think of it different gears. You know, first gear is great for parking, but fourth gear is the best mm-hmm. better for highway driving. Mm-hmm. You know, and so 
if you're always driving around in fourth gear before, you probably weren't as maneuverable as you could have been when you're at slow speeds. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a different gear for the mind that works better in different circumstances. And so in this, I kind of go through all different phases that the mind can can be in and give you a way to sort of integrate that into your life and make it feel like uh, you can bring it into action. Right. And and like our program, you have the online community aspect of it where people right. can ask questions and interact with you. It's been really fun. You actually. get your own private uh, yeah. Charlie in your home, right? Yeah, it's been really nice. I've been... Uh, You're getting a lot of good questions? I am, actually. Yeah, really good ones. I've been, been, been answering, I've been pretty active on that and answering a lot of questions. And it's it's nice to have that. And, um, and then also what's been really cool, too, is to see... Some of the other community members who've stepped up and started to answer questions as well. A few that's of them have, have become, yeah, have become kind of expert. And, I, and, and I, I've encouraged certain people who consistently, you know, really kind of get it, you know, and say, like, man, you give good, good answers, you, just, you know, mm-hmm. go for it, you know. Right. Um, sometimes, sometimes the answers other people give are, are as good or better than anything that I could say. And I've been really happy with that. That's great. Yeah. It's a great aspect of those message boards yeah definitely you know just being able to share together with the community is great definitely but um this is great i'm really really glad that you did this program because it is greatly needed Mm. and uh you know how much easier than to just have it in your in your house or wherever you are right you know even if you do live in new york or you live in these cities but basically it's available anywhere yeah i don't uh, think there's anything else like it that exists right right and a lot of people you know they're new to it they don't you know they're maybe they're like i don't want to show up at some loft and you know right. go see it like they're not comfortable enough with it yet to take that yeah. step and so this is a really safe way to like explore it in a very unthreatening way yeah like maybe maybe the guy's going to be really weird one of those creepy <laughs> yeah. guru right, people exactly. he's going to be barefoot and wearing a yeah, robe and yeah. you know and there's gonna i'm gonna be surrounded by weirdos gonna be, <laughs> everyone else in the class is gonna be some weird person i'm gonna feel all uncomfortable yeah which is almost never the case but no um, actually if you do that in la it's you probably meet a lot of celebrities that way that's um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Better than like going to a re- fancy restaurant. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely definitely true in my classes. Um, yeah, I know. I'm not going to ask you to s- <laughs> spill secrets. Well, I, I, some, you know? I've got I've got a, a fair few work of non disclosure agreements. Yeah, I so I I'm not actually, even going to ask you yeah. as much as I would like yeah. to. Yeah. So Charlie, let's talk about your your childhood a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Can we go back mm-hmm. a sure. little bit? Sure. And uh, I mean, I've been um, I've been accused of. Uh, hosting some pretty alternative healers over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and when you spoke on the on the panel at Apple, I, I kind of giggled because I thought you said that you had grown up with these hippie parents in kind of a yeah, well, interesting I, environment. I, I, you know, most of my life was spent in these, uh, in my parents set up these meditation centers. And, you know, so I spent most of my life essentially kind of surrounded by, we'd have these foreign dignitaries arriving at our house. We'd have, I remember, you know, I remember when I was a little, little kid before he was famous, Deepak Chopra came and stayed at our place and, you know, it's kind of like, oh, there's Uncle Deepak, you know, <laughs> it was like, no big deal. Um, and then, um, and but we had, all, you know, beyond beyond him and, and well, more well-known people, we just had like these Indian sages just kind of turning up at our house and staying with us for months at a time and, you know, all sorts of car- colorful characters, you know, people... We had, you know, heads of state, foreign dignitaries arriving at, you know, all, and I'd get phone calls at three in the morning from, you know, some person speaking Hindi. I'd pick up the phone all like bleary eyed as a kid and be like, what's going on? You know, there's someone speaking in Hindi to me at 3 a.m. And, you know, sort of like it was a really interesting um, environment to grow up in. And, you know, at, at that time, 
I mean, you know, yoga hadn't hit its huge popularity. Vegetarianism was, I remember the first time I went to a restaurant that served tofu. That was like, it's, oh my God, you know, it's a, actually a restaurant that has a vegetarian menu. Mm. I mean, it was amazing. Um, you know, was, there, there were all these, um, it was, it was very cutting edge. People think of the sixties and seventies as being a very freewheeling time, but for most people in most places, it was a time of great conservatism. And so, you know, this interesting household that I have full of all these like bizarro characters was just, you know, it was, it was fascinating. And, you know, when I, as a, as a kid, I got to get exposed to that nonstop. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. that's, that's a little bit like what Julie likes to do here. Yeah. Yeah. They don't stay for months though. They don't yeah. stay for months. Yeah. My but family would But there are definitely quite a few characters passing through. Like and when the, I come home, I never know who's going to be sitting in the living room. Right. <laughs> but actually not really anymore because I'm sort no. of complete and all that. But yeah. it was going on until, yeah, and I still hosted somebody last year. Yeah. Now, now it's not from a seeking point. It right. would just be to laugh. I had a, it would uh, just be if yeah, if you want to come. Oh, there's a guru right now. Somebody wants to introduce me to him, and he's Saraswati lineage. And I said, yeah. I said, great. If he's Saraswati, bring him to Jai because sure. it's because it's you know creativity and Absolutely. it's for him. Yeah. And then she called me back and said, oh well, there's a protocol and you have to come. Uh, and I said, no. I said I don't do any protocol. <laughs> but if he wants to come, he's welcome. Yeah. But I'm not doing any of that. Yeah, so yeah. there was a uh, there's something I wanted to mention when we had uh paramhansa nityananda came to the house who's mm-hmm. like this you know indian master yeah. guru dude yeah mm-hmm. he's pretty cool he's young and you know he's really kind of an amazing guy with great wisdom and he talked about something that you touched on earlier when you were talking about you know you have people that come to you and they say i'm a stressed out new yorker or you know i have all this anxiety and you know, they have this story that they tell about who they are, that mm-hmm. they have an attachment to an identity that mm-hmm. they repeat and reinforce over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And Swamiji talked about that and he said it's like uh, he used the analogy of a stick, right, like or a branch. And you have these notches on a branch that are these stories that you tell yourself. And, and because they're so – they're repeated so often and so kind of reinforced over time – that they become real to you when in reality they're they're not real at all. They're completely illusory. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But to get somebody to transcend that and say, You're you're not this identity or you're not this person that you think you are or this story. It's just a story you're telling. Mm-hmm. Right. Am mm-hmm. I am I Describing yeah. that accurately, yeah, do you remember I think, what he was talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think it was, he, a, it was a chain. He was saying that you know, oh yeah, you, the links that on the Basically, chain. you as a human, you you uh, you pick up events in your lifetime, and you know, some people pick up events of suffering, mm-hmm. and most people pick up events of suffering. And, you hold on and to they that. say, "Oh, I was teased as a little child. Oh, I'm you know, I'm a stressed out New Yorker. Right. You know, they create this." chain of stress and Mm -hmm. that's their identity Mm -hmm. and then he says also uh some people do the opposite and they make a happy chain and they say you know i'm so happy and you know everything always goes great for me and i always win and they create that chain right and he was saying that neither both are lies like neither are the truth because there's nothing but the present moment right and if you just drop that whole story, you can go beyond that and touch the consciousness of who you are, which is much more than those. And that's like polarity in this dimension. It's the highs and the lows. And 
you know, I call it the seesaw of like mm-hmm. running over here, like this is great, you know. Then oh shoot, run but over I think there. It's this the, is really bad. It's the way the human mind works. You're always looking for something to hold on to. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You're always your mind is grabbing for something. Whether you know you're driving on the road, where's the road sign and the stoplight, and that's all you're focused on. Like that's just the way we're wired. So right. to be able to kind of get to a place where you can let go of that, yeah, like you said, expand your peripheral vision, mm-hmm. or you know think twice or let go of this story that you've been telling yourself mm-hmm. your whole life about mm-hmm. how Billy beat me up in the schoolyard mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's important. I think uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't really speak for him, but I'm pretty sure that, that this teacher, what, what he was saying too, is the importance of experiencing that rather than just convincing yourself philosophically of the idea. There's a lot of books and so, you know, self-help books that'll tell you things like that, like get beyond your story. Like read mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, right. Right. And it's like, not going to work. Okay. Um, <laughs> how, you know, and, you know, or, you know, they'll, they'll say things like, you know, experience yourself as being universal. It's like, well, I'm here in a room, I'm going to be eating a sandwich. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, and, and that's really what the meditative process is, is, is direct experience rather than philosophy. Like I don't, I've spent very little time when I'm teaching trying to convince people that, oh, yeah, this is what you're going to have. In fact, I prefer to give them this technique and not say too much about it and let them come back to me and say, wow, I just kind of had this moment where I went beyond everything. It's like, yep, that's an expected result, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and have them be the one that tells me about it and then confirm because it's, uh, it's, it's really cool to see that spontaneously happen in every kind of person too. Like people come with all these different things and say, you know, I – Every single person who comes when they come to like an introductory talk or something, they'll come up to me and like, I, I can't do this. There's no way that I, I'm unique. I'm the one mm-hmm. person who's too stressed, who's too type A, who's too, you know, too, too, my mind is too busy. I won't be able to do it. Everyone else can. Well, and in in next- recovery, they call that terminally, uh, terminally exceptional. Right, right. <laughs> I love that. That's a good term. Um, and you know, it's just like every single, and then the next person comes and says the exact same story, yeah. you know, and it's, it's like, like, no, you're just a human being. Yeah. You're a human you know, being. Your, your plumbing yeah. is pretty much the same as pretty everybody much. else yeah. here. Yeah. We all, we, we've all got the same stuff inside our heads, you know? And so, and we're all raised in a similar culture too. You know, it's, we all have the same background assumptions. And so, um, it's really fun to see like this, these techniques that just work. Right. You know, um, they work, they, they work, discriminate. It's, yeah, it's sort of like yeah. they work regardless of your opinion of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Which is which is kind of like what's and it's, it becomes very scientific at that point. Yeah. You know, like whatever you believe. It doesn't matter what your opinion I have people, of this I have people, is if people, you do people, it. People come in who are like spiritualists and like really, really into like all the most far out concepts of everything. And have people who are like uh-huh. dyed in the wool atheists and agnostics who come in and take the class, they have the exact same experience. Right. You know, and I actually it almost it's almost more fun to teach someone who doesn't believe that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. I have this phenomenon. I often teach, you know, like, like in a lot of wellness kind of communities, it's very hev- heavily like female dominant- dominated. And so when I teach for two, like I, I'll teach two weeks in one place and I'll teach one course one week and then second course the next week, the first week will often be like 85% women, which is mm-hmm. you know, typical for yoga classes and so on. In the second week, they drag their boyfriends and husbands <laughs> along. So the second week is just, who don't want to be they're there. They're completely unwilling. They're, yeah. they're like, and you know, their girlfriend or their their wife is less. They're just like, if I gotta, if I want to hang on to this yeah, girl, I'm exa- gonna have to do exactly. this. Exactly. <laughs> and they, sometimes they literally will say like, if you don't go to this thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna break up with right. you. you know, so they're just sitting there like <laughs> the final the, moment. The first day, they they just hate me. They're like, oh, who is this? Who is this guy? <laughs> who is this asshole that I've got to listen to? You know, right. 
And, uh, and so I have this experience a lot of teaching these really skeptical guys who are just like completely dead set that like, this isn't going to work. They're actually emotionally involved, invested in the idea that it's not going to work. They want to prove their girl wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's really fun actually to say like day two, they're like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, Charlie, can I talk to you for a minute? Privately. Yeah. They wasn't, they wasn't talking privately away from everyone else. They don't have to lose face. I it's, love that. That's great. hilarious. Yeah, it's really good. That's awesome. Well, cool, man. Well, we've been going almost two hours, but I do, before we close it up, I want to um, ask you about one other thing that something that, that, um, that I have an issue with is, uh, oh is, gosh. is sleep. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of the techniques that you teach and you 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 sort of help people enhance their sleep and, right. and uh, improve their sleep. And for me, I struggle with that. Like when I'm training, it's a non-issue, but right. sometimes like when I'm not training as vigorously or, right. Or my diet isn't completely dialed in that day. Like I have really, you know, I have issues with restless sleep. Right, right. Well, I mean, that, that's that's probably the number one reason why people come to learn to mm-hmm. meditate. Actually, is, is because of sleep issues. As really helpful. I mean, the, I, I don't have much more to say other than to, other than you need to set up a daily meditation practice. You have to do it. I, I think twice a day is the is the is the ideal before your breakfast and then sometime before your evening meal. And you set up a daily meditation practice because what typically happens, the experience most people have when they're having rest, having trouble getting to sleep, is you know you can be absolutely exhausted, completely wiped out, and feel like your eyes are like you can barely keep your eyes open. And then, but then as soon as your head hits the pillow, all of a sudden your mind starts to race with thoughts, and the thoughts keep you awake. Mm-hmm. And the what's behind that phenomenon is that anytime your body relaxes, you begin to release stress and stress release is always accompanied by rapid thoughts. And so this is the benefit when people have a meditation session where they sit there and all they're doing is thinking really, really fast. Sometimes people have these, this thing where they'll, they'll, they'll sit there and they're just, they start to relax and they're just like their but their mind starts to like blaze with thoughts even faster than it would normally go. Mm-hmm. What's happening is that they're pre-processing all of that stress release and then they'll they'll come out and be like, oh, that meditation really sucked. You know, there was nothing nothing happened to me. But then that night, they'll just fall asleep because, because they got it out of they've got it out of their system way. in the meditation session. Now that's about fifty percent of the meditation sessions will be what we call stress release meditations, a thought filled meditation like that. And the other half, once you've released the stress, the other meditation sessions will you'll go deep. And so it's kind of TikTok pattern that goes back and forth between them. And that's why the twice a day is really nice because it gives you one stress release meditation and one really deep one in the same day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then that evening when you, you know, lie down, you're just like, oh, it's much, much easier to go to sleep and your sleep quality improves too. That's a really important thing because, um, when you have high levels of stress, you, um, you won't go through the, the six phases of sleep that you need to go through to get a, to feel like you've had a full night's rest. And so that's caused by elevated cortisol levels um, in your bloodstream, which is another thing. It's a stress chemical which makes you feel anxious. And uh, and you know, by the way, you know, running and doing these things actually decreases your levels of it. It's one of the, mm-hmm. one of the great ways of doing it. Doing any sort of exercise, but meditation will do the same thing. So it makes a lot of sense that when you're training, you don't you don't have that problem so much because right. actually the, the the decreased levels of cortisol. But you can meditate and have the same effect. And there are specific techniques. Kind of again that sort of band aid method of like you know getting into a deeper state right before sleep, which are helpful. But what I'd really recommend is just you know setting up a daily practice because I've worked with people who've 
one of one of the extreme cases, a good friend of mine who had she she learned to meditate when she was in her early thirties, and she'd had chronic insomnia since age eleven. And she's what she claimed. I don't know how this could possibly be true, but she claimed that she had not slept since she was eleven. Like she right. not, she just lies there every night awake, and you know she looked pretty haggard when she came mm-hmm. in. Like she was really like super sleep deprived. And then three months after learning to meditate, she was just you know for the first time in her life after being through therapy, drugs, everything, mm-hmm. she was falling asleep and sleeping really well every night. Wow. And I mean, it can be as if be that effective. And then, you know, a, a year later she calls me up and says, my meditations have stopped working. All I'm doing is sitting here thinking. And so I'm <laughs> going to stop. And I wrote back to her and said, well, you're probably not because you wouldn't have written to me if you were actually going to yeah. stop, you know. And But give it a try. See Cry what happens. for help. Yeah, yeah. I told her to give it a try, you know, stop meditating, see what happens, you know. And then she did and predictably two days later the insomnia returned. Wow. And, uh, and it's because those meditation sessions she was doing that pre-processing. Um, it's a really important thing to do. Interesting. Yeah. Amazing. So, Charlie, do you do, um, do you recommend then like sunset hour? Oh, look, I, he, here's the thing. I, I, I do. I love the, the, the time in, in the morning right around dawn and the mm. time right around sunset mm. for meditation. And there's all sorts of stuff written up from you know, all different traditions saying that's just this perfect time to meditate. However, when I say that, people get very caught up in that. They right. miss those times. Like, oh, well, I'm not going to meditate. I can't meditate. do it. I can't right. do it now. You know? <laughs> so I don't like to set up dependencies for people. And I right. find that you can meditate really well under Anytime. all sorts of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so those are really good times for sure. And mm-hmm. they, they just happen to line up really nicely with the sort of before breakfast and before evening times sure. as well. So it's when your body is most tuned and ready. And it's these transitional points in the day where your body's also going through a transition. Mm-hmm. It's nice to ease that transition a little bit with a meditation session. Mm-hmm. For what sure. about before bed? I Well, it depends on the technique that you're doing. For most of the techniques that I teach, I don't recommend it actually mm-hmm. um, because – it can mess with your sleeping cycles. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you, if people meditate right before sleep, what they'll often find is that they'll have one night's sleep, which is fan- they'll fall asleep while they're meditating mm-hmm. and they'll, ha- they'll kind of stay in this really deep state throughout their whole sleep and they'll have the best night's sleep of their life, wake up, feel fantastic, and think, I'm going to do that again tomorrow. And they try it again and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it's because they've actually rested so deeply that they're now super energized and it'll throw off your sleep cycle sometimes right. for several days. That happens to me. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'll have a, a night where I don't sleep well or maybe two nights in a row where I don't sleep well and then I'm just so exhausted that right. I just sleep super deep Right. and then the cycle repeats itself right. because I, I slept so hard that right. I, then unless I go out and train all day and exhaust myself, yeah. I can't go to sleep that Yeah, day. no, I, I think this is, I think it's going to be be awesome for you to, to, yeah. to do that. I'm, I'm in. I'm sort of do like, it. Yeah, just to, to Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you committing to three months now on air? There you go. Let's <laughs> hear it, Rich Roll. <laughs> I think I will commit to three months. I don't. I don't believe in committing to anything for less than three months. I right. think that in my experience, anytime I've ever tried to change anything in my life, it's required a ninety-day minimum yeah. transition yeah, I period. I think. You, I think you need ninety days to implement a change in your life. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm going to do it, why? You know, what? Do it for a week. Whatever. If you're no. going to do it, like do it for ninety days. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll commit. All and right. I'll share. I'll share my uh, my experience on yeah. the podcast. That'll be awesome. great. Yay. Awesome. Cool. All right, man. Well, we got to wrap it up. Sounds good. Yeah, it's pretty good. So, Is there anything thanks, else man. you want to share, no, Charlie? Yeah. 
I you're think good? My, you think my, you're bra- good? my brain is empty. Well, empty. We could go, we could place, go all day. Right? Yeah. I don't think your brain is empty. I think you could continue for many <laughs> right. hours on this. Probably could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not worried about that because I will have you back on the show for sure. Great. Because you're a, a wealth of information. So, so yeah, thank you. Let's do this again for, uh, for sure. Thank you for uh, coming by. And we oh, love having your beautiful wife and your beautiful children. Yeah, absolutely. The whole too. family They're is quite here. gorgeous. Yeah. All so. of them. I like them a lot. Yeah, yep. I can see why. So for sure. So definitely check out uh, Charlie's uh, meditation program. It just go to Mind Body Green, uh, mindbodygreen.com. It's on the homepage. Scroll down. You'll yep. see it right there. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Uh, and if you want to learn more about uh, Charlie, you can go to the website for the the the, uh, the Veda Center, right? It's just thevedacenter.com. Yep. T-H-E-V-E-D-A center.com. Uh-huh. And you're currently redoing charlieknowles.com, right? Yeah, yeah, and charlieknowles.com and thevedacenter.com both have a lovely refresh, hopefully by the time this uh, this podcast airs, but we'll see. It's going to air tonight. I know, I'm working. <laughs> You're going to go home and work. Yep. Well, we'll be a race. Like, I'll be trying to get this podcast done, and you'll be trying to get your oh, website done. I'm almost there. I'm 90% At this point, there. I think it'll be it'll probably post at like 1 a.m. or something like okay, that. Okay, so uh, that's, your, that's your deadline. That's my deadline, cool. But then nobody listens to the show for, I mean, it takes people all the Australian, a day or All the two. Australians will be. Oh, there. yeah, that's right. Have, it'll I, be that, their morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> You can do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just channel all that like really focused mental energy that you have. So far, so good. It seems yeah. to be working out well. Okay, well, so cool. far. <laughs> and uh, Charlie's on Twitter at Charlie Knowles, K N O L E S. Correct. No W yes. in there, right? Well, I found if you Google the other one, it still ends up with me now. Oh, well, that's nice. That's that's how powerful you are. Bam! You yeah. misspell it, and yeah. it still goes to yeah. you. Yeah. That's real power yeah. in the digital age, right? It really is. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and Instagram too. Anywhere else you want? Instagram is Charlie Knowles also. Yeah, yeah. I've kept the Twitter and the Instagram the yeah. same. Yeah. Anywhere else you want people to find you? Instagram's my favorite method. I actually don't don't. Enjoy, I I really yeah, you're enjoy, not big on the Twitter. No, I, I I enjoy Instagram. Twitter is kind of work, but mm-hmm. but I'll I'll do it. I'm beginning to find some joy in it. But Instagram, I love so. Right. So if, if you want if you want to find find me in a place that I that where I, that I love it, then Instagram's the place. Cool. Yeah. And you have a couple you, uh, you have a couple of retreats coming up, right? I one do. in New York and one in Malibu. Yeah, one one in September thirteen to sixteen in New York, and then October eleven twelve ish somewhere in Malibu. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and Mal- there's still openings for that. There are, know. there are. There are. We actually haven't we've, we've put the link up on the website, but I haven't sent anything out yet. They uh, will sell out super fast. So if you're interested in uh, in in getting on them, get it get on it now before we make the, the big announcement. Yeah, and the, the details are at, are at the the VedaCenter.com. VedaCenter.com, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do those with your dad too, or are those uh, just you? Those ones will be not just me, but but I will be the main teacher at the, those ones, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and do you have any other, are you traveling around doing stuff? Where I mean, for people that are in different cities, are you going to be appearing anywhere where people might want to know where you're at? At the moment, the only, the only thing on the calendar is New York and, and L.A. at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll, if, if people uh, follow me on, on any of those media that we mentioned before, yeah. they'll, they'll hear all about it for sure. All right, man. Righteous, brother. All right. <laughs> Thanks again for coming by. You're welcome. Um, if you want to, uh, you, uh, to support the show, the best way to do that is to use the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. A lot of people have been using it. 
I get emails, people like, Hey, I bought, you know, this or that. And I use the banner ad and I always reply like you're a hero. (laughs) It doesn't cost you anything extra. You are a hero. You are a hero. Yeah. You're supporting the show. It's awesome. Thank you. It's cool because it doesn't cost anybody anything to do it, but they're still like going out of their way to like say, Hey, I'm going to support this guy. like what he's doing. So I'm going to make my, you know, Amazon purchase by clicking here first. It's like, it's awesome. So yeah. thank you, everybody especially that's doing you, that. Especially if you're going to buy a new MacBook Pro. Exactly. If you're going to be like, yeah, if you're going to be buying really expensive <laughs> items, then yeah. you're there's then you're not just a hero; you're a superhero. You're right? a superhero. Yeah. All right. And uh, you can also uh, donate to the show. There's a support the podcast banner ad. Uh, you can donate uh, whatever you like. You can donate weekly, monthly, or one time. And uh, thank you so much to everybody that's been doing that. It really helps us keep the lights on. And uh, we're, we got some fun new announcements we're going to make about the podcast soon. Yes. I don't know if we're gonna Are we going to do it now? No, we're Let's not going to do it, it now. No, it's like, yeah, but it's pretty cool. Some, some good stuff coming Yay. up. Lots of amazing guests. Thank you, everybody, to know more about what we're doing. We Hey, we have a plant-based nutrition course at mindbodygreen.com too. So you want to get more plants in your life? I don't care if you're a vegan or you're a hardcore standard American diet, Burger King guy. Everybody needs more plants in their diet. Mindbodygreen.com. Check out our course. Tara Styles yoga yoga course as well. And uh, Julie, you have your meditation program, right? I do. I have my meditation program. It's program. called. It's it's uh, based on a on a, a humming mantra, and um, it's uh, the meditation technique that transformed my life more than any other technique. So I only share one with you. Charlie shares many, 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 many. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, this is dear to me, and. Um, um, it also has an amazing uh, visualization, which connects you with your soul purpose um, so that you can be more your authentic self. Um, so that's Jai Release. It's at richroll.com. Yeah, you just click on products. You'll find it there. Simple. Got a bunch of stuff there. We got a lot of new products coming that everybody's been asking about the Plant Power t-shirts. They're coming. We're working mm-hmm. on it. We just, you know, this website stuff just takes time, takes you time. know, right? I know that yes. one. That's right. <laughs> so. And if you don't have our cookbook um, and you're not going to get the Plant Powered program, uh, you can download that also at richroll.com. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and you can find my music at srimatimusic.com, S-R-I-M-A-T-I music.com. Um, if you're interested to know what a Sanskrit mantra sounds like, you can go to track eight, which is the Aditya mantra. Very, very powerful sun mantra. Um, it's the one that I channeled the music for, and uh, so it's original, and you can check it out there. Awesome. <laughs> All right. We're done, right? I think we did it. Cool. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. Feel good. Namaste. You all right? Awesome. You're all good? Yeah, totally. All right. Thanks, Julie. See you soon. Thanks, Ritual. All right. Peace. Peace. Plants. Namaste. Namaste.